Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tales from the Backlog. My name is Dave Jackson, and this is a video games show where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. My guest today is a friend of the show, a homing briefcase enthusiast and professional hitman, Scott Danielson. And Jason Portman fanboy. <laughs> good to be here, man. Thanks yeah, for having me on. Again. Good to have you back. This is part two of the Dave and Scott Hitman trilogy. And today's game is Hitman 2, which is game two of the World of Assassin trilogy, which are immersive stealth games developed by IO Interactive. And this one was published by Warner Brothers Interactive in 2018. Elevator pitch for Hitman 2 is... You liked the first one, right? Here's more. Sound right to you? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that pretty much covers it. I did not know that it was published by Warner Brothers Interactive. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, IOI has had a... It seems like they're really scraping to get a couple of these Hitman games out until Hitman 3. Um, so different publishers yeah, that, and stuff like that. By then they'd proved the concept and other people wanted in. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, before we get into Hitman 2, Scott, what else have you been playing recently? Uh, I mean, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, Destiny 2 is always going to be at the top of that list. Seriously, if you ever start a podcast where you need like a like a weekly Destiny 2 correspondent, I am your <laughs> guy. Uh, they just uh-huh. had a, a, a big 30th, but they're celebrating Bungie's 30th anniversary uh, right now. And so they just released kind of a big content drop that's like focused on a bunch of fun and games and it's got a new dungeon and it's all very silly and uh everybody's having a really great time with it so um i've been playing that a lot over the last couple of days uh and then um i recently picked up uh destroy all humans which i know is not an, a new game by any means mm-hmm. um but it's kind of a cult classic that i missed in its heyday and uh and was recently released as a free game on stadia and so i started playing that and it's just a ton of silly fun yeah that's what i've heard Play this like alien clone that uh needs to like harvest uh its its dormant d its own dormant dna to prevent like the subsequent breaking down of their species over uh because they reproduce by cloning of course uh and so you just kind of like get a ship and a and a suit that you just sort of upgrade throughout the world and like each mission is just causing as much havoc as you possibly can in these small little suburban towns (laughs) It's very funny and very irreverent. So that's mostly what I've been playing. That sounds cool. Like, How about you? Uh, yeah, let's see. Um, let's see. What have I been playing that's not for this uh, this show? Um, I just started Returnal. I, I'm pretty sure I'll do an episode on this show unless it turns out to be too difficult. But I've been playing Returnal and uh, enjoying that and getting my ass kicked. Uh Anyone who tells you that this game is difficult is 100% correct. This game's hard as fuck. But uh, I'm having a lot of fun, and it's got this kind of cool sci-fi story mystery so far, and I'm enjoying that. Um, So, yeah, playing Returnal, and uh, I'm playing a couple of games that will make appearances on the show uh, later. I'm playing Earthbound, and that's for the first time. Like the original Earthbound? Yeah, playing it for the first time. Um, nice. Yeah, I picked up uh, a, a 3DS that was uh, hacked at one of the electronics markets here in Seoul. So I've been having a good time going back through all these like Super Nintendo games um, on emulators, but it's great to play them handheld because I 
I I will not play an emulated game for like 30 40 hours on my computer. It's just not as That's comfortable. Exhausting. Yeah. So like having it on the 3DS has been awesome. And um very cool. As we're recording this Pokémon uh Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl came out recently, like the Diamond and Pearl remakes. I didn't buy that because uh I don't really I don't know. Never felt the need for that, but I did kind of get some Pokemon FOMO, so I started up um, Pokemon Black 2 on the, the 3DS, which is, I never played it, but it's the it's like the one in the series that I didn't play, and it's the one that people say is like, hey, this one's actually like, you know, it's got like a story that's actually not the worst story ever made, so I've always kind of wanted to try it, so yeah, Returnal, right on. Earthbound, Pokemon Black 2. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember if I said that if I've said this uh, on on this or any of your your other shows before. But I I the last Pokemon game I played was Red and Blue. Like I I am familiar with the very first 151 Pokemon, and that is all. Yeah, it's a lot of people got mad like with Sword and Shield that they that they kind of cut out like you know 60 percent of the Pokemon out of the game, and like you just can't catch them. And I think that was a great decision, actually, because, like, if the goal is to catch them all, if that's what you're interested in, at this point, it's such 1200 a... 1,200 Pokemon is a little unwieldy. Yeah, it's a, it's a little unwieldy, and there's so many Pokemon that have only been given out through events, and in order to get them, you have to, like, find someone on the internet to trade with you and stuff like that, and you know how people on the internet are. I don't want to talk to people on the internet, so... I think it was a good idea cutting out all those Pokemon. And the the one for Switch, uh, Sword and Shield, is I like it a lot. It's, it was pretty fun. Nice. Switch seems like a like the like the kind of console that would get that would make get me to try a, a new Pokemon game for the first time since 1998 or whatever that came. Out. <laughs> yeah, things have uh, things have changed a lot since then, man. The Pokemon is. Um, I mean, the game and, like, the game mechanics are much, much, much better than Pokemon Red and Blue. If you would go back and play it now, it's pretty uh, pretty dated in a lot of ways. But, um, I don't know, they're still not making stories that do anything. And their target audience is still nine-year-olds. So, like, you know, people like us, we're, the games are not for us, really. So, um <laughs> We kind of yeah, just have fun. That's all it is. You're still trying to get that like hit of nostalgia out of a game that has changed so much from the thing that you are nostalgic about. Yeah, and that's I mean that's yeah, that's why I think so many Pokemon fans complain anytime the company does anything. Um, but who knows? Like as we're recording this, uh, in we're recording this in December, and it's going to come out. Uh, a few months later. So by the time this comes out, the the open world Pokemon game that is like their, you know, let's make Breath of the Wild or whatever will be out. Um Pokemon Oh, that has my attention. Legends uh Arceus or Arceus, I don't know how to say the Pokemon's name. Um but yeah, that one's like it it looks like an open world there's pokemon running around as like you know actual like enemy monsters out on the field and they can like hurt your player character like your your person avatar they can like pokemon can hurt them 
Um, so this so is, like when when one starts charging at you, you gotta like be quick on the draw and throw another Pokemon out there to defend you. Either that, or I think I saw in a trailer like someone dodging out of the way or something like that. Like I said, by the time this episode's released, the game will be out. So maybe I'm wrong about that. So give me some slack, uh, people listening. But um, <laughs> yeah, wait for all the comments you're gonna get yeah. <laughs> when this episode drops. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it, it looks really, really interesting. And it's like, it's basically like whenever people would ask like, Hey Dave, what's your dream game? Like for the past 15 years, I've always said like my dream game is like a proper open world Pokemon game. Like I, I, I would say like, op- like a Skyrim open world, but Pokemon. And this is the closest thing we've gotten. So I'm excited about that. Heck yeah. That's like I said, that sounds like something that might that 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 would could potentially could potentially bring me back to it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. This is this is the Pokemon company, so I'm like half expecting them to fuck it up and ruin my ruin my dream, but who knows. <laughs> um but dude, I was going to say uh destroy all humans is so th- it's like a they give you in a they put you in a level and your goal is to just kill everything and destroy everything on the screen basically. Pretty much, at least as far as my experience. So I've only put like an hour into it so far, but like the, and there's like a, it's a fairly lengthy, like cinematic that uh, introduction, but it starts with this very funny, like sequence where like the premise, again, the premise is that like there is this overlord, like alien dude, and he like clones himself to be these monsters or to be his like minions Mm -hmm. and their species just in general, like can no longer like reproduce organically so they are cloning they've been cloning themselves to keep the the species going uh however the like dna that they're using to clone like degrades a little bit over time right mm-hmm. and apparently uh i don't remember the specifics but like way back in the day uh when earth like was created like some some pure form of the dna that this species relies on was like embedded into part of like humankind's DNA, mm-hmm. and so they they like located the fact that this this resource this resource that they need is on Earth. They invade Earth, but the first place they land is like this farm, and so like all they find is cows. And there's this hilarious opening sequence where they think that like the cows are the dominant species of the planet, <laughs> um, and start like trying to issue commands, and then you know the cow just like shits on the <laughs> on the grass. <laughs> Uh, and he's like, I don't think this is it. Uh, but yeah, so far, like the the only levels I've played is basically like you have you can either jump in or out of your UFO, or you can run around like on the ground. Mm-hmm. And each of those things is like a different state of the game. Where I get the impression that like you 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 basically like each mission is a is a set amount of time, and you and you earn a score based on like. The um, the percentage of the of the population you were able to wipe out and the amount of property damage you caused and things like that, mm-hmm. uh, which you then can like spend upgrading and uh, the like weapons on your ship or the ability the capabilities of your of your suit or whatever. Sweet, um, it, but yeah, it's just it's just like it's the it's one of those kind of games that has found a way to make like just like wanton destruction. Uh, uh, something you can engage in guilt-free. Hell yeah. I mean, I, I was just thinking, like, there's been a couple days this week where I came home from work and I was like, I'm, a, I'm like, too stressed out to play Returnal right now. 
or like, you know, I can't focus on uh, like playing Earthbound right now. I and I that's exactly the kind of game that I was like kind of hoping for. Like, I just want to like, you know, carefree, just run around and destroy shit. That sounds that sounds pretty perfect, actually. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does it in a really humorous way. But like, for what it's worth, like, that's also how like me and my and my my Thursday night fire team talk about destiny. Like when, when we're, you know, wanting to somebody's thrown out the idea to play together tonight or something, they're like, man, I'm having a hell of a day. Does anyone want to get on and shoot some aliens tonight? Yeah, exactly. Just like blow off some steam. Yeah. Cause there's just so many places you can go and just like, it doesn't take work. You just like point and shoot and the aliens will keep coming and they'll just keep dying. Mm-hmm. And it's cathartic. Hell yeah. There's something therapeutic in mowing down entire uh, species, aliens or humans. Mm-hmm. Not in real life. Well, yeah, not a... genocide is not therapeutic in real life. Well, I mean, I haven't tried it, but <laughs> we'll we'll just go. Uh, we'll presumably, just, we'll just yeah, presumably not therapeutic in any way. Cut this. Cut this. We cut this part right. <laughs> no, it all stays, baby. <laughs> this part gets edited. Oh no. Okay. All right. Well, let's, we should better, we better quickly pivot into talking about a game about assassinating. Yeah, I was people. just gonna say like this is a nice uh, place to transition from. Um, destroying whole species into tactically taking out one or two or three specific people something with no ethical complications at all no i mean you're actually doing the world a favor by taking these people out so let's get into hitman that's a fair point So we always start on the show by giving a brief spoiler warning. Uh, the Hitman 2, like in the Hitman 1 episode, I should say, we um, covered Hitman 1 uh, back in, I believe it was episode 3 of this show, was Hitman 1, uh, Hitman from 2016, Scott and I. So same deal goes, Hitman 2 also has a story uh, with some spoilable things if you really really care about the story Uh, i personally don't care at all about the story in the first two hitman games but we are going to uh, avoid talking about spoiler parts from the story but most importantly the levels of the hitman games are the real stars and i think that going through these levels with fresh eyes uh, unspoiled finding these mission stories or kind of experimenting with them is definitely something that i would like people to experience for the first time if you're going to play this after listening to this show so we're going to talk about like what the levels look like a little bit but that's all we're going to do before the spoiler section so with that being said we also always start the show by giving our histories with the game and what brought us to uh, this and maybe what brought us to hitman 2 specifically so scott did you play hitman one first or did you play hitman two first uh it is uh i was thinking about this earlier it is possible uh, and i'm trying to remember exactly what happened and 
uh, I, I think I mentioned uh, on on the first episode that we did of this that um, I, I I came into the game just within the last like two years. It's my first Hitman game ever uh, because of a piece of content that was free on Stadia, and then like I played like one level and I went and bought everything else. <clears throat> I want to say it's possible that uh, that the first level of Hitman Two was actually the first level I played. And then I went and I bought everything and I started over at the beginning. Okay. Um, so I th- so I think I, I started with a Hitman 2 level, but like I didn't play all of Hitman 2 before I played Hitman 1. So I also started by playing Hitman 2 because maybe I think it was just on sale or something like that. And I had heard people on other podcasts talking about it. Um, so... And this is what I said in the first episode, uh, like what got me into the series. I bought Hitman 2 and I started up Hawks Bay, which is the first level. And um, I kind of did a little tangent about um, how I don't see these games as immersive sims because I don't think you can play these games the way you want to. I think you have to play the way the game is designed to be played uh, in here. So I wasn't and it's a very particular rhythm in these Hitman games, and I was not ready for it. So I got really, really frustrated playing Hawks Bay. And Hawks Bay is kind of unusual for Hitman 2 because the level is super small and super condensed. Like, all the people are really condensed. So I actually got really frustrated, and I was like, what the fuck is this? And I got some advice to, like, just get through that mission any way you can, and go do Miami, which is mission two. And as soon as I got into Miami, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I I understand what I'm doing here. So after that, I played all through the Hitman 2 levels, and then I bought the Hitman 1 levels as DLC. And then um, after playing Hitman 3, I've played back through Hitman 1 and 2 in the Hitman 3 engine. Uh, so that's one of the cool things about the series. Like if you're just listening and aren't aware of it, if you buy any of the Hitman, well, if you buy Hitman 2 or Hitman 3, you can play the previous game or games uh, in the new engine. And so they're all contained in this one package. So if you buy Hitman 3, you, which you should, Hitman 3 is really good, uh, you can play through all of the levels from all three of the games right there uh, in one package. And it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. I think I mentioned this last time, uh, but like you, if you, if you own all of the content from Hitman's one, two and three, and you just like start at the beginning and just play through, like you could very easily play all the way through the end of the game and not notice where the game breaks are between one and two and then two and three yeah yeah if you don't pay attention to the labeling in the menus because there's it's this is not like um i don't know some other game series where there are like huge jumps uh in between there are like small mechanical things that seem to change and hitman 3 is more story based than the first two but other than that you're it's basically one complete package yeah it's all the same engine it's all the same gameplay mechanics um and I think I think that's I think that's something that they did a really good job with was like kind of each game does sort of provide new experiences in some specific ways, but it it at no point does it feel like you're ever playing a different game or or having to learn a new game. Yeah, and and Hitman One compared to Hitman Three does not feel dated in any way, uh, really, because they've 
they've kind of brought it up to be with the most current um most current version of the engine and the most current graphics and stuff like that even though i mean hitman one's a ps4 game like that era it's not like it looks terrible now um (laughs) so uh for anyone curious um one playthrough of one of these hitman games takes me about 10 to 12 hours uh each level runs from between when you don't know exactly what you're doing each level is about one to two hours um and yeah i i think that they're nice little like play sessions uh in little little chunks there and like if you know what you're doing the level can take you like you know 25 minutes or even less if you know exactly what you're doing um, we, oh, yeah. <laughs> you watch that, uh, that speed runner go through the entire game in, uh, like, like 12 minutes or something like that, which was insane. Yeah. I, and I've had my fair share of level completions in like under five minutes, but not with that level of like cleanliness and like precision. Yeah. We can, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk about the, uh, the game mechanics. So let's, uh, let's take a little break. Let's listen to some Hitman music. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about the mechanics and how the game works. Like we said, we talked about Hitman 1 back in episode 3 of this show, Scott and I. And Hitman 2 plays basically exactly the same. So much so that we're actually not going to go through the, like, the mechanics in detail and talk about them here. So if you want the lowdown on how Hitman works, go back to episode 3, listen to the beginning of that show where we talk about how the stealth and everything works. But uh, just to recap... Uh, here's a quick list of things that make this World of Assassination trilogy so unique among stealth games and what honestly makes it so that I have a lot of trouble playing other stealth games. So the first thing to note is that Agent 47 uh, was the best in Episode 3 and continues to be the best in uh, in this episode of the show. More so, I would argue. <laughs> He's he re- he really starts coming into his own in, yeah, in Hitman Two, rounding into form. His the one liners that he gives and the situations that he finds himself in uh, are just they're just fantastic. Um, we noted in the er, the episode before that Agent Forty Seven is able to do anything competently, and during the games you'll be impersonating people like getting their disguises and a lot of the like tailored mission stories involve you getting a specific disguise and then 47 has to go do something uh that you wouldn't expect a uh hitman to do and it's really good like technical stuff like real like that that seem like they would involve technical skills or like like career experience doing that thing he just can do it yeah, exactly. And I'm start I'm trying to think of some like without spoilers here. Like there's there's one that it just sticks in my head because it's so funny. You impersonate a real estate agent in one of the uh levels 
and this guy's looking to buy a house and 47 just gives a a very natural and very smooth uh real estate tour of this uh this house for sale and like i don't know someone who's never played the games if you just watch the scene it it's very dry and stuff like that but like Scott, you and I, when we see this, I'm just cracking up laughing during these scenes. I find 47 to be so charming and funny throughout the game. The the his the writing for him and also the scenarios that he gets put in uh, do this really wonderful thing where like when you're watching it unfold, you are having two like competing thoughts simultaneously. Where like one side of your brain is like. The, the logical start of your brain is like, I understand that objectively, this is patently absurd. Yeah. <laughs> this makes no sense. This is outrageous. This is borderline slapstick. And then the like the other, like the emotional side of your brain is like, but I am buying it. I am paying full price for it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I totally believe that he is being this person in this moment. Yep. Like in Hitman 1, uh, when 47... 47- uh, impersonates a drummer and just gets behind the drum set and just plays drums. And there's been no indication at all that uh, he would ever be able to play drums, but he just hops on and, you know, does a little, uh, a little beat, a little, some drum fills and competently plays drums. And there's just so many you know, little moments through like that throughout the series. That's a unique one too, because that one gets like a little cutscene. Like when you actually like pull that mission off, it gets a little cutscene. And I don't think they do that in any of the Hitman Two levels, or, Not, or maybe ma- even the Hitman Three levels. Like yeah. to that extent, where like a, a, a mission story involves uh, like an actual like unplayable movie where Forty Seven does something badass that you don't have any control over. Yeah, exactly. But for the rest of the game, uh, when 47's not uh, displaying this incredible technical skill in literally anything, uh, piloting any vehicle he comes across, anything you want him to do, he can do. Uh, When he's not doing that, you're engaged in the immersive stealth, which again, we went in like great detail in, in episode three. Go listen to that if you haven't. But the highlights of this immersive stealth system are hiding in plain sight, um, instead of hiding in the shadows or hiding in cardboard boxes, <laughs> you're hiding in plain sight by changing disguises. And so the example I think I gave last time is like, okay, you need to go in a kitchen and do something in a kitchen. You need to steal a waiter's outfit. Um, you need to incapacitate a waiter, steal their outfit. Uh, everything fits 47. That's another great uh, talent that he has is every piece of clothing ever made uh, is a perfect fit for him. <laughs> and Unless a woman is wearing it. That's true. You cannot yeah. take disguises off women. Yeah, which was a smart move by the developers because they understand uh, gamers. Gamers will. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're stealing disguises and those kind of act as your uh, keys to get through certain areas and... Um, well, in the first game, they act as your keys to get through doors in one level, but I digress. Uh, the other thing that we've kind of hinted at uh, before with that speed run, uh, which we can talk about this now, the one of the most amazing things about these games is how you use objects and NPC behavior and level design to manipulate NPCs in very predictable ways. So an example I wrote down is there's a level in this game in a bank and you can pick up wet floor signs. And if you put a wet floor sign down, NPCs won't walk over there. Um, And 
that's just one of like probably hundreds of examples that reward you being creative and just thinking like, Hey, I wonder if I do this, will it have an effect on them? And like, oftentimes it does. Yeah. And you know, I, 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 I've been thinking a lot about your, your resistance to calling it an immersive sim uh, uh, as laid out in the, in our last episode. And I think it, it does require you to play uh, according to a specific set of rules but once you like agree to those rules, I do feel like there is a ton of freedom. There is, in, yeah, in in what you can do and and how you a- accomplish your goals. Um, and I think what's one of the things that's interesting is that when you first start playing the game, it it feels as though it wants you to think of the worlds as actual living worlds with like individual people in them. But it doesn't take very long before you start to realize, like, oh no, this game is training me to see these. NPCs as AI routines. Like yeah. it wants me to think of this as a program and find the places in which I can disrupt the flow of the program mm-hmm. and make it enforce it to change course. Exactly. And so we mentioned uh like a speed run earlier and this particular speed run I was thinking of, I'll put in the episode description. It's on frankly most speed runs are incredible to me, but this Hitman speed run is fucking wild. Uh, so this, if you, if you're having a trouble appreciating or like, don't quite understand what we mean by like manipulating these NPC AI behaviors, this person has just mastered these systems where they will say like, okay, I need to throw this in this specific window. The NPC there will hear it. They'll walk in there. And now that room is clear for me to walk through or like, I need to do this, which will trigger the NPCs to move into this room. And then I need to do this, which will make them walk in front of the window. And then I can have a clear shot into the window. And like, these are all things that you can test and learn. And um, even if you're not speed running, it's just super useful to be like, that guy's in my way. Uh, I can't just walk past him, but I have like I have 55 ways to manipulate this guy and get him out of the way instead of just shooting him in the face, uh, which frankly, like you can do in the Hitman games. You can shoot. Uh, it's not a bad third person shooter, but I don't think that's the way the games are designed to be played. It's designed to be manipulated, uh, like Scott said. Well, and, and you will literally lose points for killing non-targets. So if that's your way of getting uh, like a guard or something out of your way, like the game will penalize you for that. Yeah. And 47 goes down in a couple of shots anyway. It's not like um it's yeah. not like you can get in a big firefight like you versus 25 guards, uh, which will happen once guns start firing. Uh, the entire level will turn hostile against you. So anyway, this um I don't know, the immersive sim thing. Like, when I think of immersive sims, I think of, uh, like, Deus Ex and Dishonored and stuff like that. And those games you literally can play any way you want. You can... They're built in a way that if you want to kill everybody in the level, that's cool. And the game is made for you to be able to do that and have fun doing that. And if you want to not kill anybody for the entire playthrough, the game is designed in that way, too. You can do that, too. Um, And... In Hitman, I just don't feel like it's built with that level of freedom. But you're right. Once you do get into like the way the game is built to be played, you have almost unlimited freedom to manipulate the NPCs. 
Yeah, like it does it does ask you to buy into a certain set of restrictions. But the I I just don't think those restrictions are necessarily as limiting as they might feel at the start. At the start, it's it's real rough at the beginning, and at least it was for me. It might not be everybody's experience. Was it for you? Uh it it was not for me, um but only because I was already like like when it comes to shooters, I mean, obviously, like other than things like Destiny, like I, I've never been big on, you know, like the Call of Duty games or things like that. Like when you talk about like Tom Clancy games, like I always loved Splinter Cell way more than I loved like Rainbow Six. Mm-hmm. So like I was already prepared to like, OK, you just tell me like where I have to stand and wait and observe and I'm into it. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to mention earlier is that I think Night Call, which is the first mission uh, in Halo or in Halo in um, uh uh, Hitman uh, 2, it is kind of a tutorial level, but it definitely assumes that you've already played Hitman 1, and so it is like a refresher tutorial. So I think right. it's it's a very bad first tutorial, which is why I totally understand why you got frustrated by it. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, it is a because you are going through the level and it's teaching you about, you know, here here's a security camera, shoot out the security camera or stuff like that. But it's... I, yeah, I think it's a pretty bad tutorial because it's not really representative of what most of the Hitman levels are like. Uh, this is not, you know, pieces moving around according to schedules. It's really just like a house full of people. And you have to... I mean, it, it's yeah. not that hard once you get get a hold of the, like, I need to get a new disguise and I need to hide this body and then I'll probably be fine after that. But... Yeah, I think Miami is a better um, intro level for this game. Agreed. Um, Other parts of the kind of Hitman game flow are finding mission stories as you go through. And these are like tailored stories that will either get you a private audience with your target in the levels or um, just kind of move you closer to them or let you get into a restricted area somehow, and then, you know, it's up to you to finish it out however you can. Um, I follow mission stories when I play this. Uh, The mission stories are endlessly entertaining to me, and I'm also, I'm not the most, like, creative doing the kind of stuff by myself. Like, I have a couple of um, level playthroughs in this uh, episode we'll talk about in the spoiler section where I couldn't find a mission story or, like, the mission story kind of broke down or something like that. And I had to improvise and still have a good time, but these mission stories are really, really fun. And uh, especially for new players, I recommend like when a mission story reveals itself, you'll get this big pop up on the, uh, the HUD. And I do recommend following those for new players. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I I think they're brilliantly written and I, I generally tend to make a point. I've I've said this before, but I generally tend to make a point to play through all of them before I start going into like um, trying to explore what option, like what creative options for like my own, like inventing my own assassinations are. Because I feel like you can't really do it in the other direction, right? Like if you just start playing it and you're just like, screw all the scripting, all I want to do is just like sandbox it. Which I guess is like is fine, but then going back and then trying to do the the story missions later, or, or the mission stories later, is going to be probably like a little bit less satisfying because then it feels a little bit more restrictive. Yeah, 
but they are fun to follow. Uh, you do get to meet some interesting characters throughout. And like we said earlier, this is the these are the opportunities where you see 47 really like just pulling out every trick in the book. And it's uh, I don't know. Honestly, that's that's one of the big joys of the game is seeing 47 in these different situations where, you know, he he's this very calm, very dry character, but he's his personality shines through in these uh, mission stories. So definitely recommend people check those out. And they're a great way to get a feel for like the map, right? Yeah. Like every map. And I think like Hitman two in particular has a lot of big maps. Like there's a lot of stuff that it would be, I mean, there's a lot of stuff the mission stories won't show you, but there's like, if you play through all the mission stories, you will have seen most of the map. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And and you'll get the opportunity to be like, okay, well, next time I play through, I'll skip this mission story and go inspect that other thing that, that this yeah. mission story didn't take me to. Or, you know, like this isn't in Hitman Two, but in Hitman One, there's a lesson, there's a, a level in Marrakesh, and one of the things in Marrakesh is you have to go inside of the Swedish consulate, and a couple of the mission stories give you ways to get into the consulate, which is this heavily guarded building. And then once you've done that mission story, just this level as an example, if you want to get back in there and not do a mission story, well, now you know a couple of ways to get in. and uh, Or at least you have, you're familiar with the building. So the next time you don't need a mission story to get in because you're already familiar. So they're, I think the mission stories are better teachers for this game than the actual tutorial. <laughs> so, yeah. And should be noted that the Hawks Bay uh, thing, I don't believe has mission stories. So again, yeah. not a great tutorial level in my, in our opinion. It does, however, have one of the best escalation missions, uh, which is a, which is a seasonally available Halloween themed mission um, <laughs> in which you infiltrate the dreams of the guy. I can't remember his name, but the guy that's in that, in that mission so it's um, and it's 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 super cool. It's like a hitman persona or something like that. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. You can't like you have to you have to knock him out. You can't kill him because you you don't want him dead. Because if you die in a dream, you die in real life or something. like of that. Of course, but, we we all know that to be true. Of course, that's just yeah. that's just science. <laughs> so the the general flow through like for me and um. Scott, I'd be interested to hear uh, your kind of general flow through one of these maps is, so you start out in a default location with 47's default outfit, which is normally, you know, a suit, but uh, I feel like Hitman 2 starts to give 47 some, like, some great starting outfits. Um, you will wander around, listen to some NPCs, kind of explore some buildings, just kind of just getting the the lay of the land and then you'll inevitably find a mission story you'll get a thing that pops up on the hud and um for me i always follow the mission story and you go through this cycle of like okay i need to get in there but the guards won't let me in there so i need to find a new disguise to get in there and then you get into that place and uh, maybe you need to distract some people maybe you need to incapacitate some people and dump them into dumpsters or something like that uh, a lot of like very hot levels uh temperature wise in here and so i always felt bad dumping people into like dumpsters full of flies and stuff like that but you know you can do what you gotta do <laughs> i think it's gonna have a heat stroke by the time anyone finds them yeah exactly um <laughs> but 
uh, as long as you don't kill them, then your conscience is clean. Exactly. So, uh, you go, th- you just go through this thing of, um, like kind of puzzling your way as you get deeper through the level. Maybe you need a new disguise. Maybe you just need to distract some guards, uh, whatever you need to do, keep moving through the level. And then either your mission story or your creativity will get you an opportunity to kill the target. Most levels have at least two targets. Some levels have three. Uh, I don't think there's any with four in Hitman 2, right? That's just in Colorado. Just the one in in, in Hitman 1, I think. Right. Uh, So you take out your targets. And then the last part is you need to escape. And each level will give you several uh, ways and places to escape the level. And these are often very funny too. And I made sure to note how I escaped from each level on um, my notes in the spoiler section, but we'll save that. So Scott, I follow mission stories and this is how I go through these levels. Uh, What's your process now that you've played all the mission stories and you're really going creative? Um, So I think, I mean, something that's worth mentioning, uh, if for no other reason than poke a little bit of fun at you, um, is that like when you start a mission, you always can see where your targets are by using a feature called instinct, <laughs> uh, which I know that <laughs> from our conversations and from watching you play on Twitch uh, here and there that like you just don't use very often, which is fine. Like to- like no shade, I totally respect it. But like at any point, you can hold a button and go into instinct mode, which kind of makes everything gray and it will light up the things you can interact with in yellow. And it will also show you, like, in a red outline, no matter how many walls or surfaces are between you and your target, like, the direction <laughs> of, of your targets. And so you can always kind of see where they are uh, and roughly how far away they are. And then, like, I think one of the things that, that makes me love this series of games so much is that, like, from then on, it's just observation. Like, and it's, and it's like full sensory observation too. Like, so not only are you wandering around, you're exploring the space, you're getting a sense of how the space is laid out and where like restricted areas might be and what, and what cost, what uh, disguises you might need to get into those areas. But you're also listening like for, to overhear conversations uh, because even if they are not conversations that will literally start a mission story, a lot, there are a lot of. Um, what, what the game, some, something the game does really well is it triggers, uh, by prox by, by 47's proximity to the NPCs that are going to have the discussion. Uh, it will wait until you're close enough to start that audio. And then that audio, even if it's not something directly actionable, will often provide like some contextual information about something that's happening on the map. Right. So like, uh, we'll get into like, a. We'll get into the specifics of some of the Hitman 2 levels a little bit later, but like from Hitman 1, for example, like you might overhear people on the Colorado map talking about this like dangerous like car ram testing that's happening in this one side of the map. And that doesn't start a mission story, but it does give like force you to make the mental note to like, oh, I'm going to have to go check that out because that sounds like a situation I might be able to get involved with. <laughs> um, so I think like just from the, from the, to the, at the, after playing each of these levels as much as I have at this point, um, I would say that like I now start them. I, I kind of have gotten to the point where I I set my own goals for myself. Like I'll still play contracts and, and and escalations and stuff, but I'll be like, I wonder if I can like 
assassinate that guy and 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 dispose of him on at this other place on the other side of the map and then like <laughs> I'll, I'll like challenge myself to do that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh and so i would say that like now more than ever before i go into uh into a, a gameplay session just like hawk-eyed looking for shit that i have never noticed before and there's still a lot of those things like i'm still encountering like little items to interact with or like you know the mole holes or like the thing you know the environmental (laughs) things you can interact with that have like multiple steps to pulling off an assassination those are the things that i'm like really looking for looking for now um as well as like kind of the higher xp challenges because there are still plenty of levels that i haven't reached 20th level mastery yet uh which i want to do because that's what gets that's what gets you all the the fun items and rewards that you can then use in in subsequent playthroughs yeah for sure and that's a good point when you finish the levels you unlock uh, new starting locations uh, new starting outfits you can unlock places where you can like um you can stash a weapon somewhere so you can say like uh i can't take a weapon into this building but i can you know i have this level of mastery in the level i can start with a weapon in a trash can in the building and so you can do that you unlock new items to take with you, like uh, new types of poison, new weapons, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so they're really, like, they start you out, and I think it's good, they start you out with, like, very few starting options. So you really just need to learn the level, and then, like, they really give you so many more uh, ways to experience the level uh, as you replay them. Because these levels are built to be replayed as basically as many times as you want to. This is not a situation yeah. where you're going to play through the game one or two times and see everything there is to see. Like these are basically infinitely replayable. Yeah, and and to and to your point earlier, uh, you know the 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 um, you know you were you were talking about uh, okay, I want to get into that kitchen because I want to poison some food or whatever. Uh, and so you got to find like a, a, a server, a, a kitchen staff member who is like off on his own that you can knock out and take his disguise. Um, after you've played through the level a few times and you've unlocked a couple of the other like starting locations, you might be able to then start the mission uh, already undercover in the kitchen dressed as a chef. Right. right. Um, and so then you're kind of you don't have 47's classic suit. You actually start in a disguise. Um, which itself introduces a whole bunch of interesting challenges, then getting back out of there and finding a, a, a suit that you can wander around the map in with as much freedom as this, as 47 suit would have uh, afforded you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, with the, the instinct thing. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this is just endlessly funny to me. Uh, like, so it's it's a major thing. It's like you hold down, I think it's like L1 on PlayStation to uh, activate this instinct vision. And you can see everything on the map that you can interact with or everything that's close to you that you can interact with. And so then uh, the Fundamental targets. game mechanic. It is a fundamental game mechanic. And I just cannot remember that it exists. So I'll go through entire uh, playthroughs of a level and I just don't use it. And it's not because I'm doing some pro gamer shit. I just legit keep forgetting. I didn't even write it in the notes for either episode about these games because I can't remember to put it on here. It's insane. But 
but honestly, <laughs> like, I, I know you say that, but like, and, and I know that like I have a, uh, probably a, a ton more playtime in this game than you, but like, you might be a better player than me because you never, because you you still manage to complete these missions. And I I looked over your notes, like you've you've completed a lot of the story missions and stuff without ever using those, which is wild to me. And that's a testament to how well the game is designed because I like I'm starting to think of like, could you beat and have fun with The Witcher 3 without using The Witcher Vision? And I don't think you could. I think you need to use The Witcher Vision in that game. And in Hitman, The Witcher Vision, the instinct mode is really helpful, but it is 100% not necessary. But oftentimes in the Twitch uh, streams, I would be like, God damn it, I need a wrench. I can't find a fucking wrench. And Scott would be in the chat just being like, dude, instinct will show you where a wrench is. And I'm like, holy shit, instinct. Yes, of course. What a concept. Well, and it's what's funny is that, like, it, you actually can't, I, like, I feel like I, I use it still a lot uh, because it's a habit, but I feel like I could, I probably could get by without it better than I do because I already know what the in game things are, right? So, like, one of the things that'll illuminate is, like, the the doors and the chests where you can stash a dead or unconscious body, right? Right. And like, I, re- I remember I was watching you on a stream the other day, and you were like, "Oh, there's nowhere to stash a body in here." And I'm like, "Dude, there is a closet and a chest in here, <laughs> which would light up yellow if you used instinct." But like, I only know that because I've looked at them through instinct so many times. Right. <laughs> um. So like, you know, once once you've used it enough, and you kind of know what. You're, you're, you train your eyes to look for the things that you can interact with. Yeah. You may not need it as much, but I am impressed by your ability to, like, complete these missions, particularly in the time that it takes you, uh, without using that feature at all. Well, that's because I follow mission stories most of the time. I think it would be a lot harder if I was just going on pure creativity. Uh, the mission stories are pretty easy to follow. Um, they very rarely make you do something like really really difficult it's mostly just like get this disguise follow this person uh you know go do this go play the drums or whatever um yeah and they and they give you like hud indicators and and like they're pretty specific with the step you need to take so like it's it's pretty handheld yeah and those uh a lot of those places like i'm thinking places to stash bodies and stuff like that those are often on the mini map also so like a lot of times uh, you can just look at the mini map and be like oh yeah of course there's a there's a dumpster full of flies here to dump bodies in um so yeah but i yeah just thinking like the witcher or the batman arkham games like you you can't really play those games without that mode and in hitman it's uh you know a luxury it's really nice but not necessary so all right, let's uh, let's take a little break, listen to some more Hitman music. When we come back, we'll talk about the story and the levels in the game. Okay, we're back, and let's talk about the story in Hitman 2. So, in I, I kind of talk shit about the story in Hitman 1 in that episode. It's basically an excuse to get 47 into these locations. Uh, I think that the story in Hitman 2 is a little bit more direct and therefore a little bit easier to follow, and there is actually a little bit more of a story here. So in the story, um, before and after each level, you'll get a cutscene, and 
what's happening in the cutscenes as they explain the targets to you is not often like uh it's it's not groundbreaking stuff, but I do want to say that those cutscenes have incredible art direction and they look amazing. Like they look really cool. So don't skip those cutscenes, but like the you know, the backstories for these people, uh they're the people you're targeting are all giant pieces of shit. That's basically like, you know, rich people, I mean, ultra rich people. Uh, the world's elite doing incredibly shady and terrible things. So you're sent to take them out. And, but yeah, those cutscenes are really, really well directed. And like the, the visual design is so, so good. Uh, please watch those. Don't skip those. Even though the story content is in my opinion, not great. I think the, uh, so that's, that's, um, I'm I'm glad you like them. I, I, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is is Hitman One has their their cutscenes are I think these are the, more so the like cutscenes in between missions rather than like the mission briefings, right? Um, but they have these kind of like full motion, uh, not like live action, but like full motion animation cutscenes with with characters kind of moving around and interacting with each other. And in Hitman 2, I, I don't know exactly why. I don't know if it was like a budget cut or a stylistic choice or what. But like the the cutscenes in between missions are more like slideshows. Like they're yeah. they're kind of like like they they have they're more like a series of still images, it's still beautiful art. Um, but I was curious. I wanted. I was curious about like what you thought about that because I think well. I'll give my opinion in a sec, but like, how how did you feel about the transition from like kind of fully animated cutscenes to kind of this more like artsy, like series of vignette kind of cutscenes with again with full recorded audio over top of them, but like yeah, a series of still images rather than full video. Yeah, you're right. the The kind of mission briefings those are the ones that have these like incredible uh, visual design and like visual effects and stuff like that. Those are like really good, like kinetic typography and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, those are excellent, excellent. And then the kind of story based cutscenes, the story because you're learning more in this game about the story of Forty Seven, like Forty Seven's backstory, and then the actual plot in the present. Um, and yeah, those are like these yeah like you said it's it's almost like watching a slideshow and uh, i really like them i like the you know i would rather watch that where you have these like really really gorgeous uh still like photos or drawings um i would rather watch that than you know a cutscene that's like played out in the game engine or something like that uh I, I don't know. I always found those to be really, really pretty. And so I didn't really mind that it was just, you know, you're going to look at this image for five or 10 seconds and then this image for the next 10 seconds. Yeah, I didn't mind at all. How about you? So this is, this is thinking about this is where I kind of realized that like, other than the fact that I love this game, like my more specific opinions about like more granular elements of these games have like almost all of them have shifted a little bit since I started playing. And when I first started Hitman two and I start, first started getting these cutscenes, I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I was like, I wish these were still full motion cutscenes. I liked, I liked watching the characters of 47 and Diana, like interact with each other and whatever. Um, 
but like the my second, third, fourth time watching through them, I'm like, no, actually, I think this does a really good job of like of making the story feel because what happens, and I don't want to get too much into it before we get behind the spoiler wall, but like Hitman Two represents like a a, a zooming in of like the kind of uh, narrative stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah. it, I, 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 in my opinion, it kind of retroactively makes a lot of what happened story, like plot wise in Hitman one, make a lot more sense. Hitman one was a lot of, at, at the moment it felt like nonsense. It was a lot of like proper nouns of shadowy and mysterious organizations that you don't really understand who they are or what they're trying to do. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like Hitman two focuses a lot on a lot more individual characters with, with, either names or designations like the shadow client or the constant. And like, for some reason it, it feels a lot easier to care about a, a narrative arc, like on that level than on like, you know, uh, this is Yago and like, you know, all these like big names of, of organizations that you're like, I don't give a shit who that is. like sinister incorporated. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so I almost feel like, you know, upon further reflection, the the way that they changed the the cutscenes to be these like like you're looking like you're watching a, a a watching a person put down like Polaroid photo after Polaroid photo of like a vacation. They almost feel a little bit more intimate in the way that this in a way that mirrors the story, mm-hmm. um, and it makes you care about these characters and the relationships between them and the events that are unfolding between them a little bit more than you ever had to in in the first in the first game yeah i I definitely agree the the kind of scope in this game this this game is still about secret societies and uh shadowy organizations and stuff but it's it's really focused on about four characters throughout the whole story and that kind like you said that zooming in is uh definitely helpful for if you want to get invested in this story, it's definitely helpful. Um, so, and and I think you know, and we'll we'll talk about this obviously in in greater detail in in our in our third episode. Uh, but yeah. like, <laughs> I I I think that Hitman Three delivers uh, narratively a payoff that you that you did not know you were waiting for since Hitman One, right? Mm-hmm. Like it. it when Hitman 3 resu- ends, all of the sudden, all of the narrative choices that they made in Hitman 1 and 2 make a whole lot more sense. And I think Hitman 2 is, like, where they start to tra- make that transition. And all of a sudden, the story starts to feel like it might actually be building to something interesting. And not right. just, like, okay, this could be any Bourne movie or Tom Clancy movie or whatever. Right. And we'll we'll get into that. But the ending of Hitman 2, like... actually leaves you with like a plot cliffhanger that is then what hitman 3 is is based on so in that way like they are actually like giving you a story that's a lot easier to get engaged with here so in hitman 2 uh, it begins with 47 on the hunt for someone named the shadow client which is you know (laughs) just the proper nouns um Hitman's, uh, or sorry, 47's agency, which is called the ICA, which it stands for International Contract Agency, right? Yep. Which, very funny name for a secret Hitman organization. Um, yeah, they sound they, like a legal firm or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like uh, international shipping business or something like that. Nope, this is uh, 
the world's elite assassins work for the international contract agency or yeah um so hitman i keep saying hitman 47 is on the hunt for this shadow client and then the hunt commences for someone named the constant um and like you you mentioned the proper nouns and the you secret society terminology and stuff like that it's all in full effect in hitman 2 as well and the reason they're looking for this constant is the constant knows the identities of the providence board members and providence is like this illuminati secret society in the game the people that are pulling the strings behind uh you know everything that happens in the world and so you have that they were set up as like like one of the most like sinister entities in the story at the beginning of hitman one right they've, they've been around since early on exactly yeah and so that's the kind of present day plot and then you also are learning some of 47's backstory in Hitman 2, uh, which then becomes one of the main plots in Hitman 3. So the Hitman 1 story, it was kind of like 47 is this nameless person with a mysterious history, and then in Hitman 2 you actually do learn some of his backstory. So it's, like we said, it's a lot easier to get into kind of the personal side and get attached to some of these characters here a little bit especially 47 he's the star and giving his backstory is definitely helpful and in that way they kind of build the narrative over the three games the same way they build like the 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 player experience in any given game right where like bit by bit they introduce you to the concepts you need to understand in order to then move on to like the next tier of systems or whatever that you're that you're interacting with in the next most complicated level and like in hitman one the plot wasn't the point it only needed to like hold up the story missions because what they wanted to do is they wanted to teach you how to be 47 in these levels right and now that you know how to do that now they can start turning 47 into like an actual character and making the story that he's a part of make like have purpose and and momentum exactly yeah and so like I guess, like, before we talk about spoilers for the story later, I'll just say that, like, I think you said it well when the story of Hitman 1 is just kind of designed to get you to, like, feel 47 a little bit and, like, get the, get, you know, get to know him just a little bit. And then this kind of gives the story, uh, his backstory and stuff like that. So I guess just in summary, the plot of Hitman 2 is fine. Like it, it does the job. Um, the the backstory and stuff is is okay. I, I mean, it's not. I don't like think about this when I'm laying in bed at night or anything like that. But it, it's fine. Uh, whereas I thought the story in Hitman One was just proper noun soup, uh, almost nonsense at times. Yeah, it is. It is very much the like minimum viable narrative that you need that they needed in order to like. It, what it does is accuse the genre. Right, the story in Hitman One makes it very clear the genre of story that we're playing in. Right, uh, and then once once you get into Hitman Two, um, again, it's it's not great yet, but I think it is definitely more like interesting and and engaging than the story in Hitman One. Right, and then 
I mean, no spoilers for Hitman 3, but the story does get even more direct and more uh, yeah. easy to connect with in Hitman 3. And therefore, I would say Hitman 3 has the best storytelling uh, in any of the games. So it's kind of this, I mean, you you really should be playing this game as part two of a trilogy. So it's like, you know, you're, you wouldn't just take the two towers all by itself and say, you know, um, talk about the story in the two towers because it's part two of three. And this is kind of the same way. Not that there's, you know, again, the, the story in the whole trilogy is, is fine. It's, it's decent, but I don't, you know, I don't think about it (laughs) that much. It's okay. Yeah. So, um, but let's move on to kind of like what the point is in the games. So we're going to give a brief uh, rundown of all of the levels in Hitman 2, of which there are eight, eight levels. Uh, and like we said, each level will probably take you between one and two hours to get through, especially on your first uh, playthrough. So, well, I guess we'll start with just, uh, we have Hawks Bay, New Zealand, which we talked about, which is a house on a beach uh, at nighttime. Uh, all of these levels are absolutely beautiful, like the way that they look, even the levels where you're inside the whole time are beautiful. And I think we'll talk about some of the um, like special ones that have like incredible things that happen uh, in them visually. So we have Hawks Bay, New Zealand. We have Miami, Florida, which is a uh, racetrack and expo center. We have Santa Fortuna, Colombia, which is a kind of um, mansion and uh, drug empire compound. uh, And also kind of like a uh, slum neighborhood. I don't know if it's, I don't know if you call it. Yeah, we wouldn't call it a slum neighborhood. It's a, it's like a, a remote village that is, that is, uh, lorded over by like high power cartel members. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, slums is the wrong word. It's just a village. Uh, we have Mumbai, India, where you're on the streets of Mumbai and you are in a kind of partially constructed uh, large kind of skyscraper that is being used as a movie set, a Bollywood set. Um, we have kind of one of the things I love about the levels is how diverse these levels are. You're not in military compound A, military compound B. So you go from the streets of Mumbai to Whittleton Creek, Vermont, which is a just a regular suburban neighborhood. Um, any suburban neighborhood you've ever been in, this is it, basically. That's the one. Yep. <laughs> and then Cook, you go from... Cookouts, ponds, yep. oak trees. All of it. Moles. <laughs> Moles? Yep, that's suburbia. <laughs> Uh, after that, you go to, uh, and Jesus, I should have looked up how to pronounce this ahead of time. The Isle of Skyle, Scale. You know I, say- I've always pronounced it scale. Scale. Like, like, like the scales of a fish, but with, I guess, a little bit more g in there. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a Gaelic word. And, uh, if I have any weakness in my life, it's Gaelic pronunciation. <laughs> so, um, that is a, uh, kind of castle in the middle of an island in the middle of the sea uh out uk ways it is yeah it is it is without getting too spoilery at this point like i think the other that the the last two levels were maybe added after the fact so like 
the isle what happens on the isle of scale is narratively like a big climax yeah uh and so it is this kind of like you are going to a location that means something to a secret society and right. so it is this like 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 wave crashed island in the middle of the ocean with like an an old stone fortress on it that's been converted into a place where rich people hang out yeah exactly yeah it it definitely feels like like the belly of the beast kind of um and then there are yeah, two well dlc said. levels uh one of them is a bank in new york city which is uh often regarded to be one of the best levels uh scott just did a chef's kiss uh it's uh i mean we'll we'll talk about it but like game makers toolkit for example did a video just about this level um it's it's one of the crowning achievements of uh the series and then the last level uh which was dlc also is a resort in the maldives which is another just uh beautiful beautiful level gorgeous yeah uh so those Go ahead. Uh, also, one of the one of the few or potentially only levels that has sort of a pro- a progressively changing environment as you work through your objectives. Yeah, something I would definitely like to see more of from from IOI. Yeah, definitely. And well, yeah, I mean they're they're working on a James Bond game as we're recording this, and I mean, like James Bond at this point. I'm kind of over the movies and stuff like that, but I would, I will 100% buy the James Bond game that this company makes um, because they make, they make some of the best levels in video games. And if you, if you take this kind of formula, we've been talking about with these locations, we just talked about uh, and take it with James Bond, I'm sure it's going to be good. Like I'm, I'm probably more confident in this company making a good game than like most other game developers at this point. Yeah, you could it could literally just feel like a a, a licensed Hitman or a licensed James Bond version of Hitman and I would be okay with that. Yeah. Exactly. So, anyway, uh with these levels, uh so we we talked about what the eight levels are and where they're set. Um are there any differences that you noticed between Hitman 1 and like how we talked about the levels in that episode and then in Hitman 2? Any differences in level design or anything like that that you notice? Um I think that's a really great question. I think that um Hitman 1 and and 3 probably have levels that I would call better standouts than most of what's in hitman 2 uh but hitman 2 probably has like the highest like baseline average of quality like yeah like i, I you yeah. said you, you sent me that little like ranking site and I, I tried to like place these levels on there and i just like had a really hard time putting any level below like a a, a b or a c uh because they're all really good um and they're all like equally good like they're 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 like none of them are like standouts as being weak um or anything like that i think what they did in this game is that they um they they didn't do a lot of new they didn't reinvent a lot of stuff i think they took some like some some riskier moves in 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 uh hitman 3 than they did in hitman 2 but what they did in hitman 2 is they refined a lot of what they started doing in in hitman 1 um 
So in, in in my opinion, I think Miami is probably the Sapienza of this game. It is, uh, it is one of the only maps that has um, a really substantial non-looping time-based component. Yeah, yeah. So there's like there's like a thing that there are, there are things that unfold only once uh, at specific times uh, into your play. And if you want to do a thing that requires you to take action prior to that and you don't, then you've missed your opportunity. Whereas like in most maps, that's not the case. You can just sort of wait for that opportunity to come around again. Right. Uh, and that doesn't happen in Miami. Um, the other thing is that Miami is is a, is one of the biggest maps, I think, and it is uh, bisected uh, in half. Uh, I think you mentioned it was a, it was a, a racetrack, an expo center. So like... The racetrack itself like puts cuts this map into two completely separate parts, um, which introduces some interesting challenges. Um, I think there are some places where that where they where they didn't do that as well. I think Santa Fortuna uh, feels a little bit more like three separate areas. So it's it's one of the levels that has three targets, um, yeah. and it feels a little bit more like three separate areas that don't interact with each other as much as I w- wished they would. Right. Yep. I feel the um, same way. But I think that like more than anything else this game's mission stories feel satisfying. Yeah. Like way more so than than Hitman 1 and that's I think that's saying something Hitman 1 mission stories felt really satisfying, but there are a lot of mission stories that require a lot of steps uh and so when you finally manage to take your target out um you feel like you earned it. You feel mm-hmm. like you did the work, and yeah. <laughs> even in even in the mission stories where like you can kind of start to tell where this is headed four or five steps away from the end, you're like, it's still when that moment comes and and, and your target dies, you're like, ah, that's the stuff. Yep, yeah, that's what it was all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that without doing any like real comparisons, I feel like a lot of the levels in Hitman Two are bigger like more sprawling than in hitman mm-hmm. one uh like miami is pretty big uh the isle of scale is really really big uh like deceptively big um it's dense and tall yeah it's it's i think it's got more more levels more vertical levels than almost any other map in in all three games and it's got a lot of like different areas too like a lot of uh yeah different areas to go into uh santa fortuna like you said it feels like it's three levels stitched together so it's it's really big uh sprawling and uh you spend a lot of time just like running like just like sprinting from one end of the map to the other in that one i feel like yeah yeah so if if there's any difference in level design i would say a lot of these levels just feel bigger um and then some of them are like they're big but they feel very very uh full of people like Miami and Mumbai uh, as the streets of Mumbai probably should be are just f- packed with people you're at a crowded uh race uh, like a IndyCar race in Miami so it's packed full of people or an F1 race sorry my oh no uh we have to end the podcast i don't know about oh race cars <laughs> the race car oh people God. are going to come after me um, get the, now, just wait until we get the nascar people in here well uh, yeah well, i know it's not nascar so no it's definitely not um NASCAR. but the streets of mumbai are full of people uh and the isle of scale level is a you know a gathering of people so there's lots and lots of npcs there 
Uh, and so without, you know, I'm trying to think of the other, the levels from Hitman 1, and I can't really think of ones that deal with like huge crowds like these do. Um, uh, Mar- Marrakesh might be the only Marrakesh one that I can think of. Marrakesh is the only one. Like, and, yeah. and we talked about how, how we thought that was kind of a missed opportunity mission story-wise. Yeah. Still... But yeah, density of NPCs definitely steps up in this one. Yeah, and then um, I mentioned the bank level, which is, I think, the ultimate, uh, one of the ultimate, like, clockwork levels in here of um, manipulating NPC behavior because it's, you're inside of a building and it's, you know, I guess I've never been in behind the scenes in a huge bank in New York City, but it it feels like a real place. And most of these places... uh, well, I would say all of them, I assume the Isle of Scale is what, a you know, that place would be like, but all of these feel like real places, um, rather than designed video game levels. But the, like the, the level of design that goes into it, that makes it feel at the same time as like these, these beautifully crafted levels while also feeling exactly like a, uh, you know, a suburb in the U S or makes it feel exactly like being inside of an expo center in Miami. Uh, that's, I mean, it's, it's just chef kisses all the time for IOI. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things they did there, there, there are some outside of the levels. There's some cool things that I think they did with this game that I'd love to talk about in a second, but, uh, within the levels, I think something that they really stepped up was, um, uh, and, uh, sort of environmental, um, uh, wayfinding. Um, so, so for example, uh, when you first play the, the Miami mission, uh, before you've unlocked any of the other starting points, you begin at the front gate and, and you have a ticket and you got to kind of show your ticket and get in. Um, and when you, when you go through the front gates, the, the grounds, the ground is painted with these like bright yellow, like pink and blue and yellow lines, that uh, are labeled like where they'll tell you to go, right? So if you want to go to like the vendors, there's a line that will take you there. And if you want to go to like the 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 mechanic, the car garages, there's a place that there's a line that will take you there. And if you want to go to the parking garage, there's a line that will take you there. And so like even in these environments, I think we talked a little bit about last time where like you can use your real world knowledge of of what a place is like in order to to interact with the level because like we've all been in a hospital so we know what the way people are supposed to behave in a hospital and roughly how a hospital is laid out maybe not everyone's been to a track uh, to 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 an to an, a formula one race right um and so they they do a good job of uh of building the maybe the less common experience locations uh in such a way that um even if that's not a place you are familiar with the the game offers you signposting uh, in order to find your way around and, and kind of quickly make sense of it and get your bearings. Yeah, exactly. And like for that, um, for that racetrack in particular, like if you go to a racetrack, they will have signs that will tell people where to go. So, I mean, it, it fits with like, um, oh no, what's that word? Uh, like there's, there's very little Ludo narrative dissonance with that stuff too it's not like you're going through a military compound that has a bunch of signs explaining like for a tourist where to go you know um if you're going to a racetrack there would be stuff painted on the ground or something like that telling people where you know this way to the bleachers uh for example so 
yeah, that stuff's really good. Uh, the bank is another level like that has signs that say like, uh, you know, um, security deposit area personnel only. Yeah, exactly. Or like, um, you know, down the stairs here to the, um, the security deposit boxes or something like that. And so I, like I had a mission story where I needed to go to the security deposit boxes and I was like, Hmm, okay. Oh, there's a sign for it right there. Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the level design in Hitman is something that every single person who talks about and reviews Hitman talks about. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's a real accomplishment. And we talked about those kind of cut scenes as maybe a budget cut, um, you know, those, those still frame like slideshow cutscenes instead of having like full, you know, rendered cutscenes. Um, they chose their money or they spent their money in the right places. They really like put every effort into making these levels incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of just now putting that together, but maybe that's what it was is they were just like, Oh, all of these levels need to just be bigger and better than, than the first game. So let's, you know, uh, make, make, find some efficiencies in our, in our cutscenes. Right. Yeah. And Cause it is, they are, they are all big and they, they all, they all feel like more ambitious versions of things that they tested in Hitman one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we, when we do our episode on Hitman three, then we're going to actually have a lot of different like types of levels to talk about. Uh, Cause they do shake it up in Hitman three, but in Hitman two, it's, it's all, you know, the, pretty much the best or like like you said at least a b or c version of a hitman level and in my opinion i think that the uh, new york level the bank uh, the isle of scale uh, miami and uh, parts of mumbai sometimes uh, i'm kind of mixed on mumbai but some of it's really good but those other three new york the bank the isle of scale and miami are all top level hitman levels in my opinion if we're doing tier Definitely. ranks <laughs> so definitely uh you you had briefly go ahead uh i was just gonna say i i wanted to mention some of these other game modes that yeah came yeah in. uh is that is that where you were gonna head that to? was where i was going too perfect um so i i don't know i don't know if, how much you've got a chance to play these but um i'll i'll start with the special assignments because i think that this is something that they've they've uh, continued to refine, especially with like the most recent DLC since Hitman Three, uh, which was the um, sort of the Seven Deadly Sins uh, uh, seasonal content, I guess is what you'd call it. Mm-hmm. But it, it 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 does that thing where they they use a map that you already know, but they like give it a whole new coat of paint for a, a more kind of self contained mission, right? Um, and so when we did our, our Hitman 1 episode, we talked about the Patient Zero DLC, which is just a little four-mission uh, story arc that takes place in four of the levels, uh, m- maps from Hitman uh, uh, 1. Uh, in Hitman 2, um, there are uh, also four uh, what they call special missions. And I, I think it's been... I don't, go, I don't go back and replay them very often, but I think that they are fairly self-contained. They are not a... It's not like four subsequent missions telling a little story arc like Patient Zero was, but um, there are alternate missions to play on uh, Miami, Santa Fortuna, Mumbai, and Whittleton Creek um, that kind of use the same skeleton for the map, 
uh, but they sort of shuffle things around, change the conditions that you're working with, change the NPCs that you're interacting with and the targets and stuff, Mm -hmm. um, because they all have just sort of a little bit of a different story. Um, uh, I think for example, in Mumbai, there's like, it's called illusions of grand, uh, yeah, illusions of grandeur. And like somebody, some like magician has hired you to assassinate a competing magician or something like that. (laughs) It's kind of silly. Um, the uh, the uh, a new game mode they introduced with Hitman Two that I really like, and we were talking about this a little bit before recording. I know I'll be curious to hear you talk a little bit more about why you're maybe less of a fan. Um, is the sniper assassin mode, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, to date they have not released any additional levels for. So there are only three sniper ass- uh, assassin maps. But the way the mode works is that um, rather than playing kind of a third person camera behind uh 47 as he maneuvers through a level uh there is what i would say is probably an equally complex uh level to the rest of them but uh 47 is perched somewhere stationary with a sniper rifle and uh each level um there there's there's one in austria which is kind of at this big mansion um where a, a wedding is happening um, there's one in, in Singapore, which is kind of at this like docks, uh, like industrial dock, uh, where there's kind of like a hostage situation unfolding. And then one is in Siberia, um, which is, uh, sort of a, uh, military or a, a prison installation, uh, in which you've been tasked to assassinate some, some key people and potentially start a riot to, um, uh, cover your tracks or whatever. Um, but it introduces some really interesting challenges uh in that you know how do you how do you take out in this case each map has uh you know between probably two and four uh main targets but then there are also like 12 to 15 like bodyguards and if you really want to complete the mission you got to get them too and so the question becomes like how do you take out uh f- from a stationary like sniper n- nest how do you take out 15 uh individuals mm-hmm. uh and in a way that hides their body because if anybody dis- discovers a dead body then they'll they'll raise the alarm and you'll quickly start running out of time to get the the thing done um and and like i said each each one only ha- it has like a hard cap of 15 minutes uh so it's it's i love them because i think it's a lot of training it's a lot of i've mentioned several times before i love games where it's observation and so like i've played so many of these several times just because i sit there and i watch the entire thing unfold so that i know where everybody's gonna be and i can start building a strategy where like you start up the map and it's like all right within the first five seconds i gotta turn to the right and shoot this guy before he walks away from that pond that i and i can no longer hide him in there or you know whatever um and that's like a kind of gameplay i find very satisfying but Mm -hmm. uh and I know you mentioned that you weren't the biggest fan. Yeah, I I don't I I'm so full disclosure. I played, I tried the Austria mission, and I will say I tried it maybe four or five times. So I didn't, you know, I didn't spend hours uh, learning this, and maybe I didn't spend enough time uh, learning it. But one of the things I like the most about uh, the regular levels in Hitman is how you're always moving and adjusting to what's happening and if you fuck up uh you can cover your tracks or you can um you can get away or basically like that and in the sniper missions if you fuck up then 
like you said, you're you're failing quickly. Like the timer is uh, quickly running down. And so I would, I just constantly got in this situation where I was like, I think I have a clear shot and no one can see it. Oh, never mind. Those four people saw it. So I guess I'm boned on this. I can't really cover up my mistake at all. Uh, whereas in uh, the regular levels, if someone sees you uh, and you, you can just knock them out and hide their body and then change your disguise and it's you're basically scot-free after that. So yeah, the, the sniper missions just seemed really punishing, uh, but I do kind of like, I, I get what you're saying. And like we were talking before about how um, you you can still use the same principles from the main levels to manipulate what the NPCs do. You know, if you shoot this object, then this will happen and these people will react in a predictable way. And so that's how you're setting up all of these things. Um, but if anyone who watched me play these levels on Twitch, uh, the regular levels, for anyone who watched me knows that I just, I make a ton of mistakes uh, when I play. And so it just, you know, it's a, it's a level of uh, precision and perfection that uh, I just could not, uh, couldn't get on board with. That totally makes sense. That totally, and, and you're very right about that. Like I have uh, making a mistake causes me to uh hit hit pause and restart the entire level in sniper assassin way more often than it does in like regular gameplay yeah modes. yeah and i uh, i should say it's just, it's just so hard to recover from yeah and i should say in the regular gameplay modes i quick load all the time as anyone who's uh, watched me play on twitch knows uh, especially when i'm following a mission story uh if i fuck it up um I yeah almost always just reload and try again. Uh so but yeah, um I don't know, one thing we should have mentioned with the the level design is uh this philosophy cuz I the sniper thing got me thinking about this. This philosophy that the designers have that you should always be moving forward uh through the levels. So like most rooms that you go into will have two exits. So you you enter in one way and then that room will also have another door. Uh, so you're always you feel like you're just always moving forward through the levels, and you spend some time hiding and and observing, and waiting for things to get into place. But you are always moving, and that to me is what Hitman feels like. And then the sniper missions, uh, honestly, you feel I felt pretty helpless, uh, especially when I started to make mistakes. Yeah, that's you're that's totally a fair criticism. And and you're right. I there was it was I that was something I almost said earlier is that like in a in a regular Hitman level there's a there's this thing where like you see a door that you can't go through and you know you want to go through it. And so you go about finding it, the outfit that's going to let you go through it, but you still don't know what you're going to find on the other side of it. And so there's this there you there, like not there's this sense of not only moving forward but also like always going deeper right and like always going like deeper into the cave or deeper into the belly of the beast and like you're leaving the realm of safety further and further behind the the closer to your targets you get and that definitely doesn't happen in sniper assassin yeah right yep so like i i know like you said that you enjoy them and i know a lot of people else uh, a lot of other people have said that they 
enjoy the sniper missions. Um, it's, it's just not my thing. Um, so I'm not going to say that it's like bad or that it's, um, you know, anything like that. It's just not, not my preferred way to play it. I'd rather just play the regular levels again. Yeah, there's, it's a very different thing and I totally get that. Um, the other, the only other game mode I wanted to mention, and, and I don't have a lot to say about it because I unfortunately never got the chance to play it myself, uh, before it got shut down, but I've read a lot about it and I really hope, uh, I've heard some, some discussion that they might bring it back into the game. And I really hope that's true. But, um, that with Hitman two, they introduced, uh, a multiplayer mode called ghost mode, uh, which, which, like I said, they, they have since shut down. Um, but the way that it worked is that, uh, you would compete against, uh, one-on-one, uh, against another assassin, um, on the same map with the same target, uh, and like uh, like uh, assassination conditions, uh, and you were not actually on the same instance of the map together. Uh-huh. You were each like in your own versions of it. But uh, like if you and I were playing against each other, uh, I would be able to see like a ghost in my world that represented where you were and what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I could see what your strategy was, and I could plan accordingly, and you'd be able to see what I was doing, and, and you'd always be able to, like, check in on their progress. I think you might be even, even be able to, like, look at the map and see where they are and, like, see how many of their targets they've eliminated and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was just, like, this is such a cool... I have often fantasized about a, a multiplayer mode of this game that is kind of co-op. I think it'd be super fun to, like, get some really complicated, like, really complex maps uh, and and have like targets that require two people, two assassins to work together to assassinate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but 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 this is not that. This is kind of more of a competitive thing. And I always thought it would be cool to like be working on your own assassination and also be able to see like the ghost of the other person who's also doing it in real time. Yeah, that um, that would be pretty cool. Because um, well, you and I kind of talked about our play style. Uh, in the game and we probably have pretty i mean like not super different but we do approach challenges in the game in a different way so it would be kind of cool to see like oh what the fuck is he doing like what's his strategy here that would be pretty cool right and then you get like mind games too where i start like going like down a hallway that doesn't mean anything just because i'm i I think you might follow me yeah (laughs) Right, you start trying to sh- trying to fake out your opponent. Yeah, like you actually, I, I just you actually know that that room is full of guards, um, and you're just trying to lead me into something like that, or you know, that would be that exactly could be interesting. So I think it'd be fun. Yeah, I don't know. I I can I can understand why it maybe didn't. It was an experiment that didn't play out the way they had originally intended. But I do hope that they bring back like you know. I hope they didn't trash it. Yeah. I hope they I hope they took it back to the workshop and are going to are going to try to release something similar to it again because I think there's so much about this game this kind of game that lends itself to some interesting multiplayer opportunities. You just gave me an idea speaking of them doing multiplayer and I I think that so many people especially of our generation associate James Bond games with multiplayer. So if they're making a James Bond game, I wonder if that's going to have uh, a more dedicated multiplayer component to it, you know? So maybe they would kind of iterate on something like this, um, or even just have PVP with PVP in here. Doesn't, I don't know about that, but, um, 
I was going to say, I don't know. I <laughs> I don't know. I don't necessarily definitely expect the James Bond games to to be built on like an engine that feels similar to Hitman, but I also don't discount it as a possibility. Yeah. And I have a really hard time imagining like the reason that we think of that 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 gamers like you and I think of of James Bond video games as primarily a multiplayer experience. I just can't imagine how IOI would would bring that to life. Especially if they're going to if they if it if it is like you said like a a James Bond uh you know reskin of the Hitman engine um pvp would not, would not be it's not super interesting to big head mode yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the 47 in dk mode would be pretty funny but <laughs> um okay so let's take a little break we're going to listen to some hitman music when we come back we're going to give our final thoughts in summary before the spoiler section and we're back so let's give our final thoughts about hitman 2 do we recommend it if that's not abundantly clear at this point uh so scott guest always goes first what do you think uh obviously i I, obviously i recommend it um i I, as i as i mentioned before uh i think uh I, i had a really hard time even just in my own personal hypothetical scenario uh ranking any of these uh levels lower than a, a C. I think it's got the highest like baseline average of, of level design quality. Um, I think they took some interesting risks, uh, as we just discussed with ghost mode, not all of them panned out. Um, but, but it really does, it, it, it is an, uh, an attempt to be more ambitious with everything that they learned worked in Hitman one. Uh, and then I also think it's just, it is the joiner between Hitman one which uh, has kind of a, a, an inconsequential story, but really killer gameplay, and uh, Hitman Three, which we will eventually discuss, um, but <laughs> it, at a high level, I think, um, in ways the first two don't uh, allow the gameplay to bend uh, a little bit more in favor of the narrative, uh, and so Hitman Two kind of is the thing that bridges those two and has like a good, satisfying blend of both. Yeah. Yeah, and certainly don't play Hitman One or Hitman Three without playing all three of them. So, if we're gonna, if I'm gonna recommend any of them, I'm also gonna recommend this one. Yeah, I I was just gonna say that I think that if you're only gonna play one of the Hitman games, I think Hitman Two is the one you should play because I think it has the best mix of like consistent level quality, some top top level uh, levels, and <laughs> um a story that's that's easy to follow like with um identifiable characters other than 47 um but like you said these are part of a trilogy and i really think like i really have a hard time imagining someone who's like i fucking love hitman 2 and i hate hitman 1 i don't really see that as possible hitman 3 is different 
and I know people who are big, big fans of Hitman 1 and 2 and are kind of lukewarm on Hitman 3. Um, I still like it a lot. We'll get into that when we eventually close our personal Hitman trilogy. Uh, but if you are a fan of Immersive Sims, even though I don't, you know, we've, we've been through this. If you're a fan of Immersive Sims, games that reward your creativity, uh, or if you like stealth games and just want to see like a different take on the stealth genre, uh, Hitman 2 is, I think, the best... I mean, I I'm, I can't think of a stealth game that I like more than Hitman Two, at this point. If you're a, if you're a fan of of classic red tie suits, if you're a fan of <laughs> uh, blank canvas but also unforgettable tall bald white men. Yep. If you're a fan of bar all of these things, barcode tattoos, <laughs> uh, exactly homing briefcases. If you're just a fan of murder, yeah. If you're a fan of murder, yeah. It's just got a big. It's just got a little bit of something for, <laughs> something for everybody. That's right. So uh, yeah, these are this. This is a classic uh, trilogy. I I can see a like demographic of uh, people who play games who just don't like the gameplay because it it is not uh, like you, like we said. You have to meet this game uh, on its terms. But once you do, uh, it's, I mean, it's almost endlessly rewarding. And I think I said this on the other episode. If IOI just decided, like, we're going to make this James Bond game, and then we're just going to put out Hitman levels for the Hitman 3 engine forever, I would get all of them and just play them as long as they keep making new levels. Oh, you may not have to wait that long. I actually believe that they're that, so they like I said they just they just wrapped up their uh, their Seven Deadly Sins uh, DLC, which was not any new levels, but it was a lot of new missions uh, that reskinned old levels. Uh, but in announcing their new 2022 roadmap, I think that they are uh, teasing or 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 suggesting that new levels and missions are coming this year. Hell yeah! Uh, Hell yeah! As DLC, so like. I'm stoked for that. That's, I am a, I am a, I'm normally a like wait for sale before I buy games type of person, but uh, Hitman DLC is automatic day one. I got to play it. So yeah, yep. very cool. Agreed. All right. So a little bit of housekeeping before uh, we move into spoiler talk. I like how we said we were going to, you know, we don't have to explain the game mechanics. So this is going to be a shorter episode and we're up on almost two hours already. Uh, But um, before we get into spoilers, I want to say if you're going to tap out now, because we're going to talk about the levels in some more detail and how the story goes. So if you want to tap out now and play the game, uh, we both definitely recommend you do that come back to this episode anytime we're not going anywhere so if you want to support this show uh, the best thing to do is to subscribe and leave ratings and reviews if you can on uh, platforms such as apple podcasts and podcast addict and good pods and any others that um allow you to leave a rating and uh get us into the Pod old planet yeah <laughs> i don't know i made that up but it sounded like a thing it could be or it will be maybe you just spoke it into existence um <laughs> help us uh help inject us into the old algorithm there and um yeah tell your friends about the show and yeah uh social media for this podcast links will be in the episode description but it's at Tales from the Backlog on Instagram and Facebook and on Twitter at TFTBLPod. But 
don't try to remember those. Just click the links in the episode description. Uh, I, Rolls right off the tongue. Yes, that's why I picked it for uh, tongue rolling. Gross. Anyway, um, <laughs> I also do a podcast called A Top 3 Podcast, where each uh, episode, my buddies and I pick a topic and we list our top threes and discuss and it's a good time. Scott was on an episode of that show talking about top three video games of the uh, 2010s decade. And that was a good time. And spoiler alert, we talk about Hitman. <laughs> so that was a good that's, time. It's, that's, that was the genesis of this trilogy that we're doing here. Yeah, exactly. And um, we... Uh, yeah, Scott and I did an episode about the 2016 Hitman game, Hitman 1, one more time. That was episode three of Tales from the Backlog. So go listen to that if you haven't already. And uh, Scott, you want to point people to social media or anything like that or anything you got going on? Uh, You should definitely check out the top three podcast and the past episodes of Tales from the Backlog. Okay. I, I, I don't have anything personal to plug, but I appreciate the opportunity. Fantastic. Good man. All right, so we're going to take a break, and when we come back, it is spoiler time. And we're back, and let's talk about spoilers for Hitman 2. So we're going to get the story out of the way first. Uh, The story, you know, plot details are spoilable, but this is not why we're here, really. So uh, in the story, you learn a little bit about 47's backstory, and 47 was raised in some kind of secret orphanage that raises assassins like i when i was watching the cutscene, i was like oh this is like queen's gambit but <laughs> they raise assassins mm. <laughs> is that uh, is that right i i think that's kind of right I, I haven't seen queen's gambit but i think it's it's kind of like a he was an orphan slash science experiment and then was due to some specific qualities he had recruited as an assassin okay so like that, it wasn't a leg- it wasn't like a regular orphan. Like it was a, it was an ethically questionable orphanage or orphan situation to begin with. Right, right, right. Yeah, uh, but I don't. <laughs> I, but I don't think that was like a direct pipeline into a uh, assassin ship. Okay, this, uh, like the reason I thought that is because you like the shadow client turns out to be Lucas Gray, who was in the orphanage with Forty Seven, and he's also an yes. assassin. So I was like, oh, okay, is this a, you know, are they just raising assassins here at this place? He's not an ICA assassin, and, and I and I apologize if any of this ends up being stuff that is revealed in, in Hitman 3 rather than Hitman 2, um, but he, they were in the orphanage together, and 
the the difference between 47 and Lucas Gray is that Lucas Gray remembers what happened to them right. and and 47 does not. And so uh, and so I I don't think that he was ever I don't think he was ever like an ICA assassin, uh-huh. but he is and he's like a like a self-trained assassin. Okay. Because he knows who who done him wrong and who he wants to get revenge on whereas 47 just like doesn't have any of that right and that's that's another kind of difference they highlight between 47 and gray is that 47 is basically emotionless and has no memories of this and lucas gray remembers it and therefore he is angry and he's on the war path basically so yeah and then you learn kind of like their backstory they did some kind of you know cut their hands blood oath uh when they were kids um and that's revealed in one of the cutscenes. So you you do learn about this, and then Forty Seven is working with uh, Lucas Gray throughout the rest of the game, and yeah, uh, to go after the Constant. So yeah, and then the other part of Forty Seven's backstory is that you learn that he is responsible for Diana's death or Diana's parents' death, uh, which they I think they showed in Hitman One uh, that her parents died in a you know, a car bomb explosion, but in Hitman 2 they reveal that 47 was the one who did it. Yeah, there's this like there's this like cutscene sequence where she's at the at like in the cemetery or something. Mm-hmm. Uh like visiting um when they reveal that. Uh which I think is an interesting thing because between Diana, who you don't know a lot about, but you arguably know more about than like as a person than forty seven, um, because his whole thing is just sort of like blank, yeah, uh, memory. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it 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 it, it there up until the moment that that is revealed, their entire relationship is just based on kind of like unquestioning trust of one another, right? Uh, and so what is interesting is the way that they continue to explore that through the rest of, of Hitman 2 and into Hitman 3, uh, once that information is revealed, not just to the audience, but also to Diana. Right. That is something, right? That is something that happens in Hitman 2 is that, like, Diana finds out that, that 47, this assassin she's been, she hand-selected and 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 truly believes in, was the assassin responsible for the death of her parents. Yeah. I actually that might be in Hitman 3 but like it's not a it's not a big deal because as soon as you find out that 47 was the one who did it I mean you know she's going to find out sometime so it's not like you're it's not like that's a big spoiler it's just like it's an inevitable thing that's going to happen at some mm-hmm. point she's going to find out so this is yeah. part of 47's backstory that he's learning uh throughout the game and like i don't know he's not really panicked about her finding out like and that's something that uh is part of like a big part of the story in hitman 3 is this storyline and so uh, yeah i don't really have a lot else to say about 47's backstory they just kind of give him a backstory in this game yeah and 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 we'll get into more detail in the in the hitman 3 episode but like i would say this episode this installment is is about 47 kind of figuring out what his relationship to lucas gray is and what his relationship is to providence and and why he 
what emotional stakes he should be feeling about the constant. Yeah. Uh, whereas Hitman 3 really digs a little bit more deeper into his relationship with Diana as a result of all of this information coming out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, I guess, uh, you know, the, the, the story, uh, at least in sort of the second half of, of Hitman 2 is sort of all about learning about who the constant is and what kind of power he has and what sort of, uh, you know, to be super metaphorical, what sort of chess pieces are on the board for all the parties in play? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then and then continually discovering, you know, uh, some everybody, everybody on everybody who's playing constantly has a, a card up their sleeve that they're that they're waiting to play, waiting for the right moment to play. Yeah, exactly. And it this this kind of starts this kind of chain reaction of like uh secret plans and secret backup plans and secret backup plans to the backup plans that all, all of the power players have uh throughout yeah. basically this and hitman 3 so yeah yeah at a certain point every cinematic starts to feel like uh party a thinks they got party b but party b's like psych you didn't get me yeah but then party a and then is... the next one's like party a is like psych we did get yeah, exactly you. party a is like actually i that was all a fake and yeah we we get into that kind of thing so um the other main story thing from hitman 2 is that uh throughout the game you're first you're looking for the shadow client you find out it's lucas gray you get, and then he starts to work with you, and then you're looking for the constant. Uh, so, in one of the levels, you uh, you kill an ex uh, Providence like chairperson or um, something like that. Are you talking about Whittleton Creek? Yeah, when you kill Janus, He's, um, he was the former leader of leader of, of Providence. Providence. Yeah, and so you or the former constant? I think he was the former constant. Okay, so yeah, you kill him. Uh, you're trying to find the constant and find where Providence is meeting. So you kill him, and then they track the coffin to the Isle of Scale, and that's where you kidnap the the constant. Um, <laughs> and we'll talk about uh, that uh, kind of thing later when we talk about the level in detail. But you kidnap the constant, and then a couple levels later, the constant escapes. Um, basically 47's busy doing his assassinations and while you're gone you come back and oh shit the constant's gone oops and then that's your cliffhanger for hit for hitman 3 yeah and i and i'll say like i i think i mean i love the 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 voice acting and the, and the characterization of the people who play 47 and diana but I think the casting for Lucas Gray and the Constant were brilliant. Yeah, Arthur Edwards, who's the name of the Constant in 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 this game, is just one of the most like viscerally upsetting characters to listen to speak. Yeah, his voice acting is like, incredible. He, he, just, he just talks like this. Yeah, <laughs> he's, like, he's like the uh, there, he's like the character from the Brave Little Toaster, which is a weird deep cut. I just thought of. I can't remember his name, uh, the lamp or something. I don't know, but. Yeah, he's just he's super creepy and and uh uh you know if in in a live action version I realize they made a live action Hitman movie and I I didn't see it but like that character could easily be played by um um oh my god I'm drawing a blank on his name he played uh totally drawing a blank on his name oh well um yeah that voice actor is so you're right it's 
viscerally upsetting is a good way to describe the way he's voiced because he's you know if you're at all invested in this like yes we got you motherfucker and he's he's just so calm and collected and he his voice carries this like this tone of like uh you actually you fucked up big time um i am gonna be okay like you guys think you have me but you are bringing yourself to ruin here and he carries that all just in the tone of his voice and the way he does it it's really good definitely so yeah i don't have anything else to say about the story here i want to start talking about the levels so do you have anything else about the story I don't think so. I think I think all I think the my, my strongest feelings about the story we covered before the spoiler wall, which is that it it does the work of uh of sort of transitioning uh between Hitman one and two, where I feel like, you know, in Hitman one it was all about the gameplay and not at all about the story. And then in Hitman three it's like almost the opposite. I don't want to say it's not all about the gameplay, but like the gameplay serves the story, whereas, like, in, in Hitman 1, the story serves the gameplay. Yeah. And so Hitman 2 is just sort of that perfect blend of both. Okay. All right. Then let's get into the levels. And so we'll talk about... Uh, I am going to talk about my uh, mission stories where I got my kills and then uh, escapes and um, anything else notable. Um, and, Scott, since you have a lot more experience with it, uh, and if you have any... Uh, like suit only silent assassin uh stories for the levels uh let's hear those so the first level is hawks bay uh in new zealand uh which we said is a house on the beach uh at nighttime uh very cool like visually uh to see so uh, i actually didn't write down the name of the target here but you're trying to kill a woman um and this this one's weird because this is something that I guess this is the only good part about the tutorializing tutorialization yeah of uh this level is that when you get there there's no one there and you you have a little bit of time to just explore the house and kind of get your bearings but then as soon as you do the mission critical thing which is checking out the laptop a bunch of people show up uh the target shows up her boyfriend and then you know 25 guards uh with them so that is a unique thing about the level, so I guess it does get some uh, credit in that way as a tutorial mission, but I think it's really hard. So the first time I played it, I didn't do any uh, anything creative. I just kind of, maybe I just shot her in the head, like, and just, like, ran away, you know? Uh, and then you, you, I think your only point of escape is with the boat in this. Am I right? Uh, I think so. I think you can eventually unlock one a little bit closer so you don't have to go quite so far down the path but i forget what it is i don't know if it's another boat or if there's like a scuba gear and you just like disappear into the ocean but like <laughs> yeah the 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 premise is that you you ride up on this beach in new zealand uh and i just looked up the target's name is alma reynold okay. uh Raynard. uh-huh um but you like roll up in this in this little like inflatable skiff uh like a half like a quarter mile up the beach from this house uh, and the beach is kind of covered with with these dunes and these grasses, mm-hmm. and so once you transition into the second half, that like the second act, right? Like after everybody shows up and you like complete your objective, the escape is is what's difficult because you have to get back to the skiff through by using these tall grasses as cover and and 
you know, avoiding all of the people, all of the guards that are patrolling the beach, yeah. um, in order to get out without, uh, without a, a, a trace. But I think there is, I think there's one other exit that you can unlock. I just can't remember exactly what it is. Okay. And when you're going through the beach, trying to get back to the boat, there's one thing they set up where there's a, there's like a pickup truck with a bunch of gas cans or something. And if you yeah. shoot it, uh, it causes an explosion and all the guards will run over to it. So you can just kind of mosey over to the boat, but yeah. So, uh, you have anything, uh, any specific experience you want to share from this level? I, uh, I, I know we talked about how it's, it's, it's kind of, um, it, it's not the best tutorial level if it's the first tutorial level you play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it does, I think it does do a pretty good job of refreshing some key things if you have already played Hitman 1. Um, all of that said, uh, I will say that this is a, a mission that I go back and I play a lot, uh, just because I find the map itself so interesting. Um, it's it's not very big. Uh, I mean, the house itself is not very big. The, right. The beach is a fairly sizable place, and and that's largely just your means of egress. But uh, I there's something I find. I don't. God, maybe this is maybe this reveals something like w- weird and perverse about me. But there's like something I find <laughs> so interesting about having to like sneak around a, a house at night while like some people are sleeping, but also there's guard patrols mm-hmm. uh, and like get in and out without being detected. Um, and so like, this is, this is one of the maps that I probably, there are no mission stories on this map, right? Like you literally, there are a number, a number of different ways to, to take out your target, but there are no actual mission stories. Um, but like, this is a map I have gone to, on multiple occasions to see if I can like kill every single NPC on the map. Okay. Cause it just doesn't seem like there are very many. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to do it. They just keep coming for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, uh, I think it's, it's not impressive in the way that many other levels of this game are, but it is tightly designed. Yeah. It's like, small and compact and it gets you through a couple of key things uh pretty quickly uh and in a very satisfying way and and i also there's there's this moment where you suddenly realize the the secret room in the house Mm -hmm. uh uh, which i think is very cool um there's just something satisfying about being like oh like let me flip this uh painting and all of a sudden the secret door opens and there's an armory and the laptop dongle and all the shit that you're that you're actually there for. Yeah, exactly. And that's a good point. The level is really compact and there's a lot of there, like you said, there's no mission stories, but there are a lot of ways to like set up creative uh, kills in the level. So I tried to set one up where um, you can go up on the roof and poison the ventilation system that goes down into that panic room. And then if you cause a ruckus, the target will go into the panic room. And I think I just did those out of order. Like I should have sent her to the panic room first and then poisoned the ventilation, but I did it backwards. And then um, there's a part where uh, her, she and her boyfriend go into the bathroom. Uh, her boyfriend takes a shower. That's a good opportunity for a kill but I yeah, because it steams up the it steams up the glass right. of the shower, so he can't see her when she's like three feet away brushing her teeth. Exactly, and I so I killed the boyfriend, and I was trying to get her to go into the panic room by like making her see the body, but uh. she would not follow my breadcrumb trail, 
and she just went to bed and I set off the alarm clock in the room and she wouldn't wake up. So I just, uh, shuriken her in the face while she was asleep. Uh, I was at that point, I was like, I've tried a bunch of creative stuff and she just won't wake up. So, uh, shuriken. (laughs) Hey, at the end of the day, they don't ask how they ask how many. Exactly. So yeah, that Uh, was my experience. This, uh, both playthroughs. Yeah, there are a couple of really good ones. Like, I really like the fact that you can go up on the roof and, and poison the ventilation system. Um, there is a... I, I forget exactly how all the pieces fit together, but there is... In the bedroom, there's, like, a, a glass of whiskey on the on the counter that you can poison. Um, but I think her boyfriend drinks out of it, so I think it might be a way to get him out of the room so you can take her out and then probably just, like, hide her in the chest or something. Um, there's also, like, a... a, a a cannabis cigarette as the game calls it right. uh, that you can find and <laughs> uh, lure them out onto the balcony or something like that. Um, I think uh, the fact that you can adjust that, that level has a lot of environmental stuff. So like there's all kinds of stuff in the kitchen that you can poison. Right. Yeah. Um, there, there is uh there are all kinds of like TVs and and stereos and stuff you can turn on. Um, the entire second level of the house has uh, window shades. Yeah, like it's it's this very like kind of like modern like style house with that's like a lot of glass and 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 square uh, corners and stuff like that. Uh, and one of the critical parts to being able to successfully assassinate one uh, your target in her bedroom is to close those shades because otherwise guards will patrol around the balcony outside and will be able to see into the room. Right. Yep. Um, and then the only other thing I wanted to mention is that there is like, there is one spot on the house where like, it is fairly obvious access into her bedroom through a window and it enters into her bathroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, and like, it's just like, almost like they're just trying to fuck with you. Uh, it there there is a a rubber duck on the ground just inside the window. <laughs> yeah. So the first time that you try to sneak into the house through that window, you're gonna get a squeak, and it's gonna like draw attention <laughs> from anybody who's on the second floor. I think that's what happened. Um, when I went in to kill the boyfriend, uh, I went in. It squeaked. He turned around, and I was like, "Oh shit!" And I was, you know, I always carry some kind of wrench or something like that. Like I always just hoover up items. Uh, and so he was like, who's there? And uh, immediately just wrenched to the face. So Are you sure it wasn't a fish? <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't get the fish yet. So uh, where I did get the fish is on the next level, which is in Miami. So yes. in Miami, you have two targets, uh, Robert and Sierra Knox. Robert is kind of showing off. Father and daughter. Yeah. Showing off, Robert's showing off his stuff in the Expo Center, uh, which we mentioned. And then Sierra Knox is the one that Scott mentioned where she is in a race car. She's in a race uh, for the first, you know, 15 minutes of the level, maybe 10 minutes, something like that. Maybe 10. Yeah. It's not a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's some, but it's not a lot. Like, you, if you're trying to get something done before that race ends, you don't have a ton of time to do it. Yeah. And then after the race is over, she will... You know, she doesn't just race forever. She finishes the race. Uh, she might win. She might come. Uh, she might not win. And then afterwards, she'll go hang out in this like um, kind of party lounge area outside 
and there's ways to get her into a hotel from what I can tell and stuff like that. Uh, but anyway, um, so my mission stories, the first time I played, uh, the first time with Sierra, I always kill Sierra first. Um, I kind of was just wandering around and she finished the race while I was doing that. So I went in the after party area and, uh, did a bunch of manipulation of guards and, uh, servants to basically choke them out. And then when she was alone, actually, I think she saw me and started to run down the stairs and I just like quick shot her in the back of the head or something like that. And then had to get out, uh, as a dead body rolls down the stairs <laughs> in this place. Um, <laughs> Move along. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Exactly. And then, uh, well, I guess we'll we'll start with Sierra. So uh, what do you like to do to take out Sierra? Um, I have taken Sierra out in just about every way I can possibly think of. Uh, I think my two favorites are um, uh, to just straight up take her out while she's racing. Uh, there are a couple of ways to do this, mm -hmm. uh, but you can, uh, my favorite way is to, um, I, I played the level enough that I now have a couple of like agency stashes, uh, that I can put on the map. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I'll usually, I'll usually stash a good sniper rifle somewhere. Uh, and then I will take the sniper rifle up to one of those little bridges that crosses the, the racetrack around the, um, the finish line. Right. Uh, and if you can get up there in time uh, without anybody seeing you and you can get your, your, your sniper rifle out, you can actually like aim down the, the track. And as they come around the corner, you can just shoot, you can just shoot her, sh her car and it will just like explode. Nice. <laughs> and she'll be done. Um, the other thing, the, the other way I like to do it is, uh, uh, so by default, if, if you don't interfere at all with the race, by default, Sarah Knox comes in second. Okay. Um, so if you, uh, uh, what you can do though, is you can sabotage the guy who comes in first, uh, either in exactly the same way I just described, where you can kind of like take him out of the race mid race with a sniper rifle or by throwing an explosive onto the track or something. Uh, or you can go, I think, I think there's a, a mission story where you can sneak into his, his garage and like as pose as part of his pit crew and sabotage his car or something. Mm -hmm. Um, but either way, there's a, there are a couple, couple of different ways to rig the race so that Sierra Knox does come in first, uh, which will result in her taking the uh, top podium spot in in the post-race, like, award ceremony. Right, yeah. Uh, and if you can get her to do that, then while she's, like, migrating from the finish line to the podium, you can uh, uh, get an outfit as, like, a mechanic sneak into a place where there's uh oh it's the it's the like pyrotechnics that have been rigged up right. like the the um the flame cannons or whatever mm -hmm. and you can just like throw the gas valve wide open so that when she goes up to claim her first prize the fire goes and way too much fire comes out and she just gets cooked right on the podium <laughs> in front of everybody ah uh, that's <laughs> I, th I feel like miami has a ton of those uh those things like I feel like it has more than some of the other levels do. Um, so, oh yeah, my other kill on Sierra that I did also is uh, part when she's racing. So there's a mission story where 47 can impersonate a uh, pit crew member, and again, 
highly technical skills that take like a lifetime of practice to be on a, a professional yeah. pit crew. Uh, no, you need me to car- change this carburetor? I can do that. Yeah, or it's like literally like you need me to change a tire in two seconds. Yeah, sure. Got it. Uh, so you you grab a, a, a wrench, a mnemonic wrench, and you are on the pit crew and you basically sabotage a wheel when she comes in for a pit stop. And then the car crashes and explodes uh, right after that. So just you I'm always a big fan of the of the methods that uh, that make it look like an accident. Yeah. That, like that, that no one that cannot be traced back to 47 at all. Yeah, exactly. And so um, you this one's cool because you get the comedy of 47 doing something that would take a lifetime of uh, skill and experience to do. And also um, just it's I don't know, it, it's very satisfying because you if you pay attention to the mission briefing sierra and robert knox are horrible people and so oh they're the worst she uh yeah she takes off in her race car and just immediately crashes and explodes yeah yeah robert i mean for just for like for the background like robert knox is is like he's kind of like a tony stark type character he's he's the president of kronstadt industries which ends up playing a little bit more of a role later in the in the series but um is like also not just like they're not just a racing company they're like a a weapons manufacturer and like a tech like a dark sinister tech company and stuff um and so he's just kind of like tony stark but like evil evil tony stark (laughs) like yeah and then his right which is saying something because tony stark is literally a, a weapons contractor when we first meet him right um but then, like, Sierra Knox is basically just, like, the trust fund daughter of that kind of guy. Like, that's... Ah, uh, she's just, like, insufferable. Every time I interact with her... I think part of the reason I like taking the routes where I don't have to actually interact with her in order to kill her is because every time I interact with her, I have to put a lot of effort into not just shooting her in the face before the option, <laughs> the opportunity presents itself. Right. <clears throat> because I'm just like, I don't want to listen to you talk anymore. You're the worst. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so the other target, like we said, is Robert Knox, and he spends most of his time or all of his time um, in this big expo center. And uh, he's kind of showing off his inventions. So the first time I played, there's a mission story where he's um, he has this exhibition of this new, you know, prototype car uh, that's on exhibit. And so you can basically fuck with it so that when he he's like checking out the engine or he's checking out something behind the car and you can sabotage it in a way where you're the technician and he tells you all right hit the ignition and when you do it just explodes and kills him and that was super satisfying uh very cool because you're in this room full of people but it's seen as an accident it's one of those things where it's not people don't immediately pin it on you or people don't ever pin it on you it's an experimental car. Yeah. It could happen to anybody. It's bound to happen sometime. So, uh, what do you what do you got for Robert Knox uh before I give my my other mission story? I uh I I there are a couple of different ways to get him in uh in the expo center. I think um my favorite and I I <clears throat> I did read through your notes, and I apologize if this is what you're about to say. Oh, but, it's okay. Uh, the uh, the one where um, there, so well, oh, again, so like we were talking about, he's like he's also kind of like a weapons contractor, and so one of the exhibits that you can kind of encounter him in is uh, where he's demonstrating. I think you have to impersonate the person that he is 
trying to sell this idea to. Yeah, it's called... Or something like that. Yeah, he's called the... The game even calls him the military money man that you are impersonating. Oh, that's very on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this... Okay, so if you if you can get this disguise and you can get in and, and find him, he'll take you to this, like... I think it's, like, in the, in one of the on one of the higher floors of the Expo Center, there's a room where they are demoing these like autonomous like like bipedal like humanoid like uh like war machines yeah right? they're like, like, like military like if, if, if iron man was a robot yeah yeah and exactly. not a, a suit that a human was wearing um and and he's demonstrating its its firearm capability which which is a system that involves showing the computer a photo of the target and then uh the the robot will then autonomously go and, and take out the target and um i think there are a number of different ways to acquire a photograph of robert knox but if you can do that while you're dressed as that guy you can feed that into the robot and he does this thing where he stands at the end of the gun range all like cocky because he's like it's not my photo they're not going to shoot me they're going to shoot these dummies behind me yeah and then they do shoot him because you fed him their his, his picture and then you just go like you just like whistle your way out while the rest of the texts are like, oh no, there's a malfunction. Yeah, exactly. And what's cool about that picture thing is this is one of those things where like your knowledge of an expo center uh, helps you in the mission because uh, you you need a picture of him. And so like when I was playing this, I was streaming it and one of my uh, people in the chat was like, hey, maybe there's a pamphlet with his face on it in the lobby and so i went down and i was like oh yeah of course this is his expo he's obviously going to be showing off like he's on the cover of time magazine or some bullshit and so you just go grab that magazine cover and give it to the android and yeah take him out that way isn't it like literally on one of those little like rotating magazine things yeah but it's just it's just all full of the same magazine yeah yeah it's just one magazine but i'm pretty sure that you can also like steal his like lanyard or his company id card or like Something like that to also get his photo in there too. Yeah, probably. Um, <clears throat> but I just, you know, I, 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 wa- I wonder if, and and we'll talk about this board Hitman Three where they introduce the actual camera. But I wonder if you can get if if retroactively you can take a photo of him oh, and use that. That's a that's interesting. Yeah, I've never tried that before. That's that could be you know next time to play Miami. That's something to try. Yeah, we'll try that and then we'll report on it in our Hitman Three episode. Right. All right, so next up after Miami is Santa Fortuna in Colombia, um, and this uh, this one has three targets: um, Jorge Franco, Andrea Martinez, and Rico Delgado. Um, Jorge is a uh, kind of he's in charge of the drug operation here, um, and Andrea and Rico are just kind of like hanging out in their respective parts like rico is in the uh kind of mansion compound area and andrea is uh, over in the village area um in her kind of outpost here and uh there's some like i don't want to it's very much like there's like the there's like the charismatic leader guy Mm -hmm. like the the biz the business like woman and the like the drug guy yeah like the old drug expert right like that's like the archetypes that these three people fill yeah and i don't really want to get into it too deeply but there is some interesting like if you care about the story of like these individual targets there is some interesting like kind of character like 
backstory infighting between some of these characters here and it feeds into some of the mission stories so there is that but um the let's see so let's start with jorge um jorge's the drug guy he's out in like the jungle area of this we said this this level is almost like three levels put together um so the first one there's a mission story where there was a kind of shipment of circuit boards that was lost in the jungle and he needs it for his cocaine machine or something like that (laughs) and right because that's what you do is you take a bunch of plants and you chop them up and then you put them into a machine and they spit out a brick of cocaine exactly it's as simple as that so (laughs) that's just science yeah you can't argue with science so you need to go find these circuit boards uh and you bring one to him and you know replace the circuit board in his machine and then while he's inspecting the machine i think i like maybe went outside and just shot him through the window or something like that. There's a bunch of guards in that room, so I couldn't find a way to get a a more entertaining kind of takedown, but um, it was fun. If I I can, I can help you here. uh, And and I, and I, I I don't, I think you just didn't wait long enough because I believe, I believe what actually happens at the end of that scene, because I was, this is the, this is the assassination I was going to say. This is one of those ones where like the mission story ends pretty early. Like I think in Hitman two, a lot of the mission stories, they get you close to the target, but then they end and they leave it to you to figure out exactly how to finish the job. Yeah. Whereas in Hitman 1, I think the mission stories took you all the way up to the moment of assassination a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think this 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 might be one of the ones where like it ends and then you kind of have to be like, well, what do I do now? But if you hang out in that room long enough, uh, he basically fires everyone. Oh. Because now that the machine is working, he doesn't need them working for them. <laughs> oh, okay. So he's like... You none of you have jobs anymore. Get out. And so they all leave and then you can like grab him and you can like shove him into the machine. Yeah. And that's what I thought. And like so he basically gets like shredded up. That's what I thought I was going to be able to do, but I was like I can't do this with all these people in the room. So yeah, I probably just didn't wait long enough. You're right. Um yeah. That's honestly the only one I can remember for him though. Okay. Uh my other one um my other time I killed him, uh, so I should say now, after the Miami mission, uh, I was awarded with a fish item. Um, you get a you get item rewards, and one of them was just a big old fish. And so I took this on every mission with me, my second playthrough, and it became my weapon of choice. So um, I don't think... And you were henceforth known as the Wet Bandit. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> my challenge mode entitled fish only smelly assassin um (laughs) so uh and this is not a mission story this is just one of those things that you said like you overhear people talking about and it kind of gives you a clue so you overhear how this guy jorge Jorge is obsessed with picking these poisonous plants uh, from this cliffside and so you need to find a key to the botany lab Uh, I spent legitimately an hour looking for the lab when it was actually, you know, right next to where I started. Um, And then you go into the lab and you can sabotage his plant samples, which makes him go back up to the cliffside to look for more. And I got him to that point and I thought I was going to be able to kick him off of the cliff, uh, but that doesn't end up happening. So what actually did happen was uh, I just 
you know, quickly and stealthily took his guards down. And then he panicked and he was like, oh no, guards, guards. And I just smacked him in the face with the fish and uh, snapped his neck when he was unconscious. And that kind of, if I didn't have a special mission kill for these um, mission story kills, it was always smack him with the fish, snap their neck when they're unconscious. Snap the neck. Yep. So that hey, that was how I took him. You don't out. mess with perfection. Yeah, exactly. The fish works, and that that fish is extremely well traveled now. It's been to uh, most continents at this point. More than me. More continents than me. Yeah. The real human Scott. Me too. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's uh, Jorge. Yeah, that's that's good. That's a good one. And that was cool because it wasn't a mission story with map markers telling me where to go. As far as I know. It was... That's what I was just going to say is I feel like that map, and, and maybe a lot of the maps in, in Hitman 2, they have a lot of non-mission story ways to kill people that that re, that that still require a long chain of very specific actions. Yeah. Actually... Right? Like, you have to kind of do everything in the right order to build up to that moment, and it's not a mission story. Yeah. Okay, so I'm remembering it now. They do give you map markers... Um... I think I think they give you map markers once you get into the botany lab and you destroy the sample and then they say go up to the cliffside or something like that but they don't give you a map marker for the the botany lab so you do need to find that by yourself so um yeah that was cool and the next target is uh we'll talk about Andrea or Andrea um she has a mission story which I did both times uh to get close uh to her because she's in this house with a bunch of guards and a bunch of enforcers that see through your disguise so she has a mission story where uh there's a love letter from one of the other targets uh brothers and you um you basically deliver this love letter she hates it so she goes out on the balcony uh, overlooking a river and my first time i pushed her over the railing into the river the second time i gave her the old fish smack uh yeah so both times i did kind of the same mission story um but the second time i you know obviously fish <laughs> that's funny fish slap um that's great uh she has she has this uh i think one of the things i'm always fuzzy on this and, and i'll talk about this i can talk about this in a minute if you want but i I am fuzziest on the mission stories for this map because uh, it is, as we've talked about before, it feels like three levels stitched together. And so I feel like more than uh, any of the mission stories, uh, this level was probably the one that I remember most as being a very fun silent assassin suit only run. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh and I think I think that a lot of that is because of the ways in which I think it's a little bit weaker of a like tightly designed level. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of the mission stories I do remember liking is that one of the, one of her jobs in this organization on this map is is that she's overseeing the construction of some facility on one end of the map, and uh, the the people. So again, this is like a, a cartel that is sort of exploiting this like this remote village in Colombia uh and 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 which is serving as their kind of like cartel headquarters and um 
So she's enlisted, she's, she's enlisted, contracted, I don't know, maybe probably not paying them what they should be paying Mm -hmm. them, uh, local construction workers to like help them build a facility on one end of this map. Right. Right. And the local, the local, uh, team that is supposed to be doing this construction has, I forget, discovered something or, uh, or is under, it has a, uh, uh, it believes that the site in which this construction project is supposed to happen is like some sort of like burial ground right, or some yeah. sort of sacred site or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they, they say they, they're not going to do the construction until there's like a, a, a swami or a, a something, some sort of like religious like leader out in the woods. Uh, and unless he comes down and blesses the site or like cleanses the site, they're not going to do the construction. Right. Uh, and so you got to go out and you got to, and you got to get this guy's, uh, costume, uh, or disguise, which has its own series of challenges. Cause there are other people out there doing like ayahuasca or whatever he's feeding them. Um, uh, but if you can get his, his, his suit, you can come, you can bring it back and, and use it to kind of perform this little r- ritual. And then people will start up the construction machines <laughs> at which point uh if you find the right spot you can i forget exactly what it is but it's like it's either like releasing a crane and dropping something heavy on her or like opening a, a valve and pouring a bunch of wet concrete on her or something like that i think that's what it is i think they're like getting ready to pour the foundation of a building and you can like push her into the pit and then turn on the concrete machine nice and bury her in like the concrete <laughs> foundation the uh, the mental image I had of of forty seven doing like a a ritualistic like blessing of a construction site dressed as like a shaman or something like that is very yeah funny. he's got this like he's got this like pointy like straw hat and like just like linen robe or whatever and I'm pretty sure it's like the way it's scripted is is kind of silly he's just like eh. this might be the one thing that he's actually scripted as like not doing very well he's just like uh and cleanse yeah <laughs> like he just sort of waves his arms around because he doesn't know what to do yeah oh uh, yeah that and i remember i i saw the shaman and i was like there's got to be something cool to do with that and then i couldn't find the construction site so eventually i was like you know what um i was streaming this so i was like you know what i'm just gonna go do something else entertaining uh and did the fish uh the fish one so Hell yeah. It's a pain. Again, we talked, we already talked about how this level is a lot of like running back and forth. You know where, uh, uh, P what's his name? P face or whatever his name is. That's the tattoo artist. Yeah. You know, the bar, little bar where he's hanging out when you first meet him. Yeah. The construction site's like even past that. Yeah. It's, it's way so the it's fuck like, like out at the edge of the map. You run all the way the fuck out there. Yeah. Like exactly. it's worth, it's worth it once you get out there and the events unfold, but like, all that shit didn't need to be quite so far apart from each other. Yeah, for sure. And so speaking of the tattooist, uh, the final target in this map is Rico Delgado. And my first run, I, I legit don't remember what I did. This was a couple years ago. Um, but this uh, this time I did the mission story where uh, Rico wants a new tattoo. And so you you hear about this and you can impersonate the tattooist and... Uh, again, technical skill that 47 just has innately. He goes and he starts giving this guy a tattoo and I let it, I let it go for a little bit. Cause I was just, I was soaking it all in the, 
you know, uh, my wife does tattoos as a hobby and she's done all of my tattoos that I have. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. And she's really, really good at it because she has an entire, like almost an entire lifetime of drawing and like very fine motor skill, you know, practice and stuff like that. And it's just very funny to me that 47 is like picking up a tattoo gun and he's like, yes, let us begin the tattoo. And, <laughs> and so he tattoos him and then uh, you get a button prompt that says kill. And uh, he, th- and this is pretty brutal. He jams the tattoo gun into the guy's ear and that's how he kills him. And that's a, uh, I was, I don't know what I was expecting, but that was not what I was expecting. And it's this weird, it's, it's this like, it's this quick time action system that they use a lot uh where like the 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 one the other one that comes to mind is is back in in Hitman 1 in Marrakesh uh when you uh assume Connie Angstrom's uh outfit the the masseuse right. and and so what it does is is the the mission story takes you to a moment where you are in a scripted interaction with other characters and you have a couple of different options at all times, right? So, right. like, at all times, you can either hit A to continue tattooing, or you can hit X to kill him. And if you hit A to continue tattooing, the situation might continue to change, right? right? And so maybe the final tattoo that 47 puts on this guy's neck wouldn't look very good. But for at least, like, three or four minutes, he does a convincing ta- a, a job being a tattoo artist in front of two other observers before... He asks him to leave, and you finally get the chance to jam it into his ear. Right, exactly. And, yeah, it's just that kind of stuff is just endlessly entertaining. And, uh, I mean, there are a lot of games that leave me with lasting memories, but so many of these uh, 47, you know, impersonations and stuff, like him playing drums or him doing this tattoo, these are things that that will stick with me just from how absurd and very funny they are. Uh, So... Yeah, anything else about Santa Fortuna? Uh the tattoo artist's name is P Power. I had to look yeah, it up. P- I knew it was P something. P Power. And <laughs> Um What a name. I don't uh I don't remember uh very many of the specifics of these missions, but I I I, I had do had two other very vivid memories uh of assassination moments from that, and one of them is Actually, I think they are both Rico Delgado. Okay. Uh, one of them is that he is having like a there, there's something there's some mission around him having a um, statue uh, commissioned for himself in the, like the village <laughs> square, and if you if you take all the right actions and like make it so that the thing happens and the dude shows up, then there's a moment where like you can loosen the fitting uh, on the. Uh, like thing that is holding up this huge statue Mm -hmm. and like while he's on stage addressing the townspeople it like comes crashing down from behind him hell yeah uh and crushes him um and then there is also one where uh somewhere on that map there is an underground chamber with a submarine yeah yeah uh and some experimental stuff is happening down there uh i think somebody got hurt or something like that and you can like lure him down there to investigate and then uh i forget exactly what uh, it uh, is that does it, man. I don't know if you drop the submarine on him or. Yeah, I I don't know. You're you're fucking to- with either like the wiring or the like propeller. the the support system or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, uh, but I just remember it being this like it's this very like almost like Goonies like underground cavern. It is. Yeah. With with this like 
submarines suspended down there. Yeah, I was, because um, I was down there and I, I was looking around the submarine stuff and I was like, oh, you can, you know, you can sabotage the submarine, but there's, there's literally like 30 technicians in that room. So I was like, I'm not sure how to do this. Uh, I'm going to go try something else. Um, so, yeah. The next level yeah, is... It's a, it's, it's a good map. I just think it could be stitched together a little better. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. The next map is Mumbai, the streets of Mumbai, uh, and the movie set. And again, you have three targets. Uh, the first one is named Vanya. Second one is named Dawood. And the last one is Wazir. And this one has a... Um, uh, let's see. The Maelstrom? Yeah. This one has a story where you don't know the identity of the third target yet. And you have to do some kind of detective work. And for most people, I would assume that's infiltrating this gang and getting his information from their hideout. At least that's how I've done it both times. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's how you have to do it. There is that. Does that involve running around the city and like investigating a lot of people? That's I think you can do that. Or, or is that a separate one? It's it's the same like identifying the target. But yeah, you can either go around the street and like kind of stare at some NPCs and Diana will say like, that's him or no, that's not yeah. him. Uh, or you can right. infiltrate the gang hideout and you can just go see and a picture. And collect like three clues that verify his identity right. or something. Yeah. And then yeah. once you're done with that, uh, you, um, you have mission stories to take him out. Or my first time, he's just walking around the street. So I just like found a rooftop and shot him from up top. Um, the second time I think, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the first time I found him was actually by going down into the, the, the hideout mm -hmm. and like, he was just in there and there was no one else in the room. So I was just like, Oh, you're him. I'm going to kill you now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I did that. And then I just like bounced out another door. Like, Cause I don't think there's anywhere in his room to hide a body. So I was just like, Oh, I'm out. Yep. <laughs> Um, the, the second playthrough, I did the mission story where you can impersonate a barber, uh, who is, uh, giving people shaves. And this is, this is just fantastic. I love that one. Um, I love that one. So he comes in for a shave, um, and you can give shaves to other people too. Uh, so I did a couple of other people, you know, 47, uh, actually I would believe that 47 is good with a straight razor. Um, so anyway, he comes in for a shave uh, he talks a bunch of shit as these targets always do when you get close to them. Um, he talks a bunch of shit and this uh, really reminded me of a scene from Game of Thrones or uh, there's a, a short story. I can't remember what it's called. Um, it's called uh, Lather and Nothing Else or something like that where it, uh, an, an officer from an opposing army goes into a shop to get a shave and like the um, it's a very tense scene and it's the same in that game of thrones scene where it's like does this person have the courage to just you know kill him while they're doing the shave and so this is exactly the same way except you know 47 has what it takes so uh that's a very sad <laughs> because it's story. your thumb yeah because it's your thumb that's going to give him what it takes well you know you know 47 he's uh he, he's in complete control of what's going on mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that was a fun mission story yeah, that's a cool one. I uh, I really like... So I can't remember... I think we talked about this a little bit, either on a, on one of your streams or just in a side conversation, but um, at some point, 
this feels like one of those uh, kind of missions that has like additional objectives where at a certain point they started making them optional, which was great. Yeah. And I can't remember if they, if, if, if having to hunt down the maelstrom through all those steps is mandatory every time or if it's optional. Yeah. I don't know because uh, my progress got reset when I moved into the Hitman three engine. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think either way, I think it's something that I I pretty much from the start found more interesting in concept than I did in execution. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I thought it was cool that I had to hunt that I didn't know the who the target was and I had to hunt him down. At very infrequently did I uh, did I enjoy the process of having to hunt him down. Yeah, I, it would get tedious uh, because I don't know. Making it optional, especially with how good so many of the other targets' mission stories are. Right, um, making it optional was the right choice uh, for these, you know, non-assassination uh, stories. At least in Hitman Three, when they do become optional. So, but yeah, the other stories here are very, very good. Um, we have uh, Vanya, who she is just like lording over these uh people in the slums um and she has yeah she's kind of like a slum queen she has uh i mean she actually does have like a little throne area set up for herself but she's uh, there's a part where you can see people basically like begging her for money and she's like oh no uh you know sorry can't help you know um so she has a couple of good uh mission stories um my favorite one is when uh, she's ordered a dress, and this uh, this tailor is basically like refusing to do it, or he's scared to do it, or something like that. So you impersonate the tailor, uh, and you go to take her measurements uh, for the dress, and uh, you can you basically get a free kill when you're you're measuring you know her you know uh, her shoulders or something like that. She's turned around, you're right behind her, and you can just choke her with the measuring tape. Um, and she also had a uh, a servant in the room, and her servant saw me do it, so her servant uh, got a fish thrown to the head. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say, I'm pretty sure I was. I'm pretty sure I watched that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that's one of those weird ones where they they don't actually. There isn't a point in that mission story where you can be alone. There is a point where you where like that servant is turned around the other way. Yeah. And so you can get away with killing them without being seen, but. Uh, it's one of the ones where they force you to do it, do your dirty work while someone else is in the room. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, the other mission story I did with her is, um, there's, there's, I forget what, like the reason for this is, but you can give, she can get her to give you like a tour of, you know, her part. She's in this like rail yard. Um, and she has like some kind of, weird exploitative empire uh going on within the city and she's giving you a tour and you go up on this bridge and she's like giving a speech to the workers below and you can just kick her off this um this bridge oh that's awesome like right in front of everybody yeah she's like she and it's it's another one of those things that's like uh it's it counts as an accident like everyone thinks she fell but obviously you pushed her off um, but yeah, she's, I love that. she's giving this kind of, you know, fake motivational speech to all the workers who she's fucking over, um, from, you know, high up on this bridge and you can just push her off. Ah, 
the the symbolism's so good. Yeah, yeah, that one's good. Uh, it's it's it. I, one of the things that that, that IO has done so cleverly with the series is create a platform where uh, heavy-handed commentary doesn't feel heavy-handed because everything, or at least you don't. It 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 doesn't bother you. Yeah, because everything is, and they everything's pretty heavy handed and they, they joke yeah. and they have all these stupid little one liners and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, uh, I, I'll, I'll give, I'll give my favorite here, which I think will probably be a good transition to the final target of this map. Sure. Um, uh, because, uh, <laughs> by far my favorite feature of Mumbai is the Kashmirian. Yeah. Uh, Kashmirian is is a uh, is an NPC on this map who is posted up in uh, one of the Chal like uh, residences. Like it's like a, I, I don't know if I, I think I'm using that word right, but like it's it's kind of like a, a, a oval shaped or a, a rectangular shaped kind of apartment building with like a, a central courtyard, right? Uh, and it's probably like three stories tall. And if you if you find the right one and you go up to the third floor and you find the right corner. You find this guy who Diana identifies as the Kashmirian, uh, who happens to be just like a colleague. He's 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 a he's your peer. He's another assassin. Yeah, uh, he's not affiliated uh, with the ICA at all. He's nope. just another assassin. Yeah, um, and and he's he's uh, when you first find him, he's got a sniper rifle set up on a tripod, and he is standing like out at the edge of the balcony with a pair of binoculars, and he's looking up towards the other target, uh, Rangan. Uh, uh, Dawood is his name. Dawood uh, Rangan. Or, Dawood, yeah. that's it. Yeah, Dawood Rangan's uh, tower. Um, and what you can do is you can you can step up to the to the sniper rifle and see that the like site is just like not adjusted very well so you can fix it so you just give them like a little nudge in the right direction and then you just bounce uh and then what you have to do is you have to go over into Dawood Rangan's tower and take a couple of steps to um maneuver him into the right place so that the Kashmirian snipes him yeah. and kills him for you uh-huh uh, and I believe I believe in that instance you impersonate an artist who is like doing a, a portrait of Dawood Rangan yeah. because he's this big like s- s- huge ego like Bollywood producer yeah uh, or director and uh, and then like I think in maybe the moment that blew my mind the most in the entire in this entire installment of Hitman <laughs> was that after that after I had completed that. Uh, Diana makes it clear that you can then go on to use the Kashmirian to kill Vanya Shah too. Mm-hmm. Because uh, in his apartment, name, right? you Vanya can see in his Shah. apartment he has um, he has a big map and he has marked his sniper spot, and then there are strings pointed at both where Vanya is and where Dawood is. So when I did this, I had already killed Vanya, so I was like, okay, I'll go take care of Dawood. Yeah. But you do get the like you should know by looking at that map, like you can use this guy for either one of these people or both. Mm. When I watched, when I was watching you do that on Twitch, I, I had to restrain myself so much when you were in that room specifically. <laughs> I was just like, look at the map, look at where those places yeah. are. And I did. I, and I tried, um, cause you're trying to find his sniper spot. And so I was trying to like, use the map like the hitman like game map it doesn't map very well to the game map and uh 
I just had a really hard time and I was looking all over. And then finally, I think you told me, you're like, act just do just go upstairs in the apartment building. He's just upstairs. And I was like, Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. Cause he's not in his room. You like, you found his room, but you didn't find a sniper spot. Right. His sniper spots upstairs. <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, but then I, if, if memory serves, like once, once you get Dawood Rangan shot down, you can then like, he'll, he'll change positions so that he's got a clean shot on, uh, like the, the, the L train platform. Uh-huh. And then what you have to do is you have to go impersonate somebody that, that Vanya is supposed to be meeting with on that platform. You meet each other. And then like, while you're standing right in front of her, this guy, the Kashmirian shoots her down. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's two targets down without you having to like kill anything. Yeah. It's a very cool thing uh, for the game to set up uh, for you. You're like, you are setting up the kills for somebody else, uh, which is, which is cool. Yeah. Um, like they're not accidents, but they're also still not kills that you had a direct hand in. Right. So you, and the the one where he kills Dawood is is so good. Um, if I remember, I'm gonna have to post because I think I took some screenshots, or I'm at least gonna have to look on uh, Google and take some pictures. Because uh, when you're painting, you're painting this portrait of Dawood, and um, <laughs> he's posing in front of another painting of himself. Like his ego is like a pop art, like an Andy Warhol painting of of himself. himself. And he's posing in front of, he wants that to be the background of this new painting (laughs) uh, of himself. And so, uh, and the, the paint and the painting that's in the background says I'm rich in big letters on it, (laughs) which is, I mean, it, it's so over the top that it's so good. And 47 flawlessly paints this portrait and, uh, he's just you know like a like a painter would do for their subject he's he's saying like okay little to the left okay hold still and then he says like very yep. calmly hold your breath please and then the shot comes uh right and then he says thank you or very good or something like that um and then you can uh you can uh finish the painting and 47 paints crosshairs over uh dawood which is a nice touch and this ah, this just so blew good. my mind when I was doing it in the stream. It's so cool. It's so it's so funny because you can totally imagine like the way that they, they that it's one of he he's one of the characters that they like communicate their personality the fastest. Mm-hmm. Dawood Rankin, and I feel like like you can immediately imagine like in if he didn't die today, then in five years he would have a collection of paintings that are just like, it's a painting <laughs> of him posing in front of a painting of him posing in front of a painting, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, one, one other thing I would love to mention about this particular one is, is, uh, I remember, uh, th- this just bolted into my head, but I remember doing the silent assassin suit only, uh, run for this level. And, uh, you actually can use the Kashmirian, uh, at least for him. I can't remember exactly how I got shot, but um, uh, at least for him, uh, there is a way to set the Kashmirian up. And then when you get into Dawood Rangan's office or or penthouse suite or whatever he calls that room, mm-hmm. uh, where you paint him, um, you don't actually have to knock the painter out. Uh, if you if you if you hang outside the the room, I think I there was like some ledges, and I climbed outside and I hung outside the window for a second, just like listen to him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the 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 loop that the painter does is he keeps going back and forth between his easel and his paints and he keeps like grabbing his hair and like complaining about how his paint set just like doesn't have the right color mhm and he like he swear he had it here but he just can't find he just doesn't have the right color and if he can't find the right color Dawood Rangan's going to be pissed and i forget exactly how you get it but like somewhere on the map you can find uh, a tube of paint and if you can sneak into that room and drop it in there and then sneak back out then the same thing will happen, but you don't have to be the artist. Right. Like, the artist will be the artist, uh, which is the only way that, uh, obviously, you can get this suit only. Uh, right. Is by not taking his his disguise. Very cool. Uh, the other mission story, just real quick, the other mission story I did for him was uh, there is a uh, photo shoot that he's doing, and so you can uh, take part in the photo shoot. Uh, 47 crushes it as always, and then uh, he invites you up to the top of his unfinished uh, skyscraper and you can just push him off the side. Uh, So that was cool. And uh, pushing him off the side uh, causes a big panic inside the building, which was kind of hard to escape from, but um, still a very... seven floors up. Yeah, it's a... It was kind of hard to get out of there, but it was uh, was a pretty satisfying kill because he's he's just the worst. I mean... Everybody in this game is the worst, but this guy's uh, just, he's one of those people that would just be insufferable to be around for more than a couple of seconds. Exactly, right. Like, there's 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 evil deserve to die, but then there's also just, like, grating, I can't stand you. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and this guy's both. Yeah. Um, yeah, that building has a... Uh, has a um, uh, an empty elevator shaft that runs almost the full vertical length of it. So that's probably the best way to escape after a situation like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, you can, I think you can climb or slide down an elevator shaft. Um, yeah, something like that. And, uh, oh, one of my escapes from uh, this uh, this level, which I thought was funny, is 47 just gets in a taxi and just leaves like very casually. <laughs> Uh, after all of this chaos yeah and actually i think that sounds like the one i probably use the most often Uh, i feel like this one has a lot of a lot of exits that you need to like pick up items for Mm -hmm. i think we talked about that a little bit in the last episode but there are a lot of exits that require you to like find the keys to the boat or the plane or the truck yeah uh or whatever um and i feel like this 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 one has a lot of them but that's one of the ones that's kind of centrally located and always available. Mm-hmm. So the next level is uh, Whittleton Creek, uh, which is that suburb in Vermont. And you have two targets. 
Uh, the first one is Janus, who was uh, a main character from the first game. And uh, the other one is named Nolan, uh, who... And I don't really remember his purpose, but like we said earlier, Janus was like the former constant. Uh, so very, very um, important in like the lore and background story of Hitman. Uh, but it's time for him to go. So um, let's kind of talk about Nolan first, I guess, because uh, he is, um, I guess he's the least important for like the actual story. Uh, so for Nolan... Um, I should say the other, you also have an objective on this map to collect Intel, uh, about Providence. Um, but that's, it's literally just collecting some items. So it's not really, I don't think it's worth going deep into. Um, yeah, it's the whole, the, the only reason you do it is to, is to justify the, the following level, which is the Isle of Scale. Right. Uh, and so it pieces together like where Providence meets and when and how you get there. Right. So with Nolan, um, I did two mission stories. Uh, the first one is the real estate tour I talked out, I talked about before the spoiler wall. But uh, what happens during this tour is really funny how 47 is explaining all of the rooms from the perspective of an assassin, uh, saying things like, this room has hardwood floors that make for easy cleanup or, you know, stuff like that. This is the kitchen. The kitchen is the most dangerous room in the house. And he makes all these comments. And you can go through like 10 plus rooms uh, and give this tour. But eventually you go into kind of a, an armored safe um, in the uh, basement that has a security system. And then uh, Nolan goes inside. He sends his guard away. And you can lock the door to the safe and turn on the... Uh, um, the security system, which just like destroys him, basically. Yeah, it turns on the lasers, which then activate the explosives. Yeah, and that—I mean—that's a fantastic uh, mission story. I really love that. I think it's—I I think I have to agree with you. I think that's probably my favorite Nolan uh, mission story. Um, I this is probably one of my most like played levels of Hitman Two, mm -hmm. like intellectually i appreciate miami the most i think for its design but i think uh there's something i find so it, so funny about the juxtaposition of of agent 47 and what he does and just like the placid like serene backdrop of vermont suburb yeah it's it's classic vermont it's suburb. not the chaos of the streets in mumbai or like the um you know the uh like the the evil you know fortress in the isle of scale it's it's just a neighborhood there's no shadows to hide in yeah. there's no like dense crowds to hide in like the, the 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 definition of hiding in plain sight is so much different on this map than it is on any other map yep um, there's people having I, like cookouts uh in this level it's just regular you know neighborhood stuff so that was actually going to be the other the other mission story that I wanted to call out for Nolan is that there is a there is a uh, a party happening on one of the blocks. So the map is literally just like a small square block of this uh, of this neighborhood, and so there is like there's kind of a a, a river. There, there, the edge of the map has a river and and some like riverbank st stuff, and there's like a park 
But then other than that, there's there's literally like what 15, 17 different houses on that map. Mm-hmm. Um many of which you can't totally go into. Um but uh there is there's a house in the in the on like on the inner block that is having a a, a cookout, like a backyard party that is open to anyone in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So like in your normal suit, you can walk right into the backyard and you won't be trespassing, which right? Is, which is super great. But once you get back there, uh, one of the things you can witness is that Nolan Cassidy is standing outside with his lackey, and uh, they're trying to decide whether or not to go inside. And uh, one of them's like, "I don't. It doesn't sound like. It doesn't seem like they have any food. So maybe later." And so they <laughs> walk away. Uh, and so if you walk into the party, you find out that like the reason they don't have any food is because the guy behind the grill uh, is out of propane. Uh, and so if you can go find a propane tank and you come back, uh, you can you can fix the grill. You can impersonate yourself as the cook. You can make some food. You can poison the food. <laughs> yep. You can serve it to Nolan Cassidy when he shows up, uh, which I think is just a really good chain of events. Yeah, that is cool. And the image of 47 uh, on the grill is very funny to me, mm-hmm. doing his Hank Hill. Oh, he's got the apron. He's got the <laughs> apron that says, like, kiss the cook. It's, it's fantastic. It's classic. Uh, oh, yeah. The other time I killed Nolan was, um, I don't know if this is a mission story, but uh, there's a fumigator uh, and you can take, I don't know if you have to take poison from his van or if you can just use any poison, but you you put poison in the ventilation system in the, the house that he and all his guards are in and it knocks everybody out. And uh, I just, I don't remember if it kills everybody or if I just knocked everyone out and then silently killed him. But that was significantly less fun than the real estate tour. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I, the rat poison from the truck definitely works. Uh, there might be some other poisons that work. I feel like it's probably dependent on the on the format it's in. Like a syringe wouldn't work, right? But like maybe a vial would. But um, I don't know if you can do. I don't know if there are any lethal poisons you can do and actually kill everyone. Yeah, if you can just knock them out. The other target is Janus, who we said is like the uh, the uh, former constant for Providence, and this is eventually going to be your ticket to finding out where Providence is uh, meeting. And so the first time I played, I did a very funny mission story where he has a big mole problem in his backyard, and uh, you can um, impersonate the uh, exterminator, and uh, you, I don't know how you've, no, it's it's this guy. He's complaining that Janus's people won't let him in the backyard because he has explosives. Um, and uh, so you get his explosives and you put them in the mole holes. And when Janus goes out to inspect, you hit the detonator and they blow up and kill him. And that's, I don't know. I just, I thought that was very funny. That's very good. Almost, I love almost every single scripted way there is to kill Janus on this map. Yeah, uh, but but by far one of my the, two of my favorites, I guess. Uh, I think they're separate mission stories. Um, there is uh, there is one there is one in which there uh, there is a doctor that appears on the map and and is making a house call mm-hmm. and and is visiting Janus because Janus is like this old decrepit man who has you know cancers and like terminal diseases and shit uh-huh. um has like he he sucks off an oxygen tank like every day um 
and so like there he has a doctor come visit him and and you can uh if you can imper- if you can capture and impersonate yourself as the doctor you can get into his house and get alone with him in his room and like swap out his medication for lethal poison or something yeah uh but the one that I the one that I do when I um do suit only silent assassin on this one which again is also very fun because of the suburban backdrop mm-hmm. uh is um he like I said he's got uh he's got uh, an oxygen tank he's got like a rocking chair with an oxygen tank and mask in his in his room that he cycles back around to every few minutes mm-hmm. Um, and he's also like an ex smoker or a quitting smoker or something like that. Yeah. And if you can find a pack of cigarettes and put it in his room, then the next time he arrives in his room, he will light a pack of cigarettes. And if you just so happen to have, I don't know, uh, used a wrench to loosen the valve on the oxygen tank in his room, mm-hmm. the entire house explodes. <laughs> uh, and you can be on a bus headed for who knows where by then. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to do on my second playthrough. And I was streaming this one. I I mean, I streamed the entire playthrough. Um, So you can go watch this. But something caused, like, the AI scripting to bug out, and he refused to go in his house. Um, I've seen that happen. And not just on that map. I feel like I've seen that happen before where people just, like, stop walking somewhere, and then they just never start moving again. He, yeah, so something caused his ai to like go into panic mode and he just stood in the front yard in panic mode and could not be broken out of it and uh i didn't want to like quick load back to a save that was you know 15 minutes ago or something like that so i ended up just going up on the roof and i threw a screwdriver at him which is my favorite silent uh lethal way to kill people is to throw screwdrivers um both in the game and in real life, they're, of course. They're so... <laughs> it's efficient. They're so plentiful. Exactly. Cheap. So, you can get them any, at any hardware store. Yep. So I uh, I did that. I threw a screwdriver and then just booked it to an exit. Um, I think, like you said, uh, you can take the bus to leave this level, which is a very funny uh, thing to do after you've just killed multiple people is to just wait for the local bus to come. Um, but uh, there's also a uh, covered bridge you can just walk across to leave the level, which reminded me of uh, my hometown and the famous covered bridge. So I took that. Uh, oh, yeah, which is also mine. Yeah. So, uh, the, yeah, there's uh, th- this one also has a bunch of like uh, like item gated exits. Um, if you found the keys to the uh, uh, garbage truck you can take that out mm-hmm. um i think there's a there, there might be a boat or a, a canoe or something uh on the river that you can take out um i think you can there's even a place where you can exit through the sewers like you can drop down into <laughs> one of the manhole covers that's in the middle of the street that's if pretty you had good. a crowbar and got it open yeah, yeah there's a couple of good ones so yeah that's whittleton creek um i i i don't like I don't know if it actually stands up with the best of the best of the levels, but like aesthetically and stuff, I really, really like that level. It's just a, you know, a very nice, pleasant place to be. Uh, unlike the next level, which is the Isle of Scale, um, which is like we said, a castle fortress on this Island in the middle of like the most turbulent sea you could possibly imagine. 
the waves are like insane if you look it's off like the edge. It's like Azkaban. Yeah, yeah. It, it's basically it's like Azkaban. Yeah. Um, so uh, there are some very good mission stories in this level. So you have two targets uh, named Zoe and Sophia. They're sisters, um, and they are. I think they're like in the. They're either board. Are they board members, or they're like trying to be board members? They are. Um, they have been tapped. I, I believe that they. I can't remember. If, I think they've been tapped to be the next con- collectively be the next constant. Mm-hmm. No, I'm making that up. Maybe you're right. Maybe they're just board members. I think they're board members, um, or they have something to do with the board. Because uh, one of them is trying to like move up in the organization, so um, one of my favorite—they're terrible. Their whole their whole thing is that they like they just like plunder like cultural relics from around the world yeah. with no like regard for the cultures that they come from or the people that stand in their way or anything like that. They're, yeah, and so some of the we're getting into the worst of the worst here, right? And. I mean, to be a high-ranking official inside Providence, you basically have to be worst of the worst. So this um, this mission story with... Uh, the mission stories with Sophia, I think, are fantastic. Actually, with, with both of them, they're really good. But uh, there's a couple very good mission stories with Sophia. So my favorite one is there is a treasure hunter named Blake Nathaniel, uh, which is a uh, nice um, Uncharted reference. Uh, and so, uh, Nathan Blake, is that what his name is? Nathan Drake or Nathan Drake. Yeah. And so you dress up as him. Um, you have to steal a necklace from this like guarded, um, kind of exhibit in there, and then you can get her alone and kill her. And I should have mentioned like, there's a bonus objective to not kill the constant because the constant has a kill switch, uh, in his neck or something like that. And the uh, the two sisters have the um, the triggers, so you need to be probably more careful. I've never gotten in a situation where the constant dies, but you do, I guess, have this extra pressure to like be clean with it. Um, yeah, I believe what happens if that is that like if at any point you have to take out the two sisters and then escort the constant off the ground, right? And if at any point one of the sisters becomes aware of the demise of the other sister, then uh, either one of them has a, a kill switch that will destroy that will kill the constant because of an implant in his brain or some shit. Gotcha. So yeah, you do the uh, the Blake Nathaniel thing, and there's like a little romantic um, hinting there between the two of them, and uh, you can be alone in her with in a uh, bedroom, bathroom, or something like that. And then you have your easy opportunity to take her out. So yeah, I. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, um, I was going to go into the other uh, kind of mission story I did, but do you have something for Sophia? I I don't um. I don't remember which one is associated with which mission story. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh. Is she is she the one um, that uh, that you can interact with at the at the very top of the glass tower? Um, the glass or tower, that... probably because that's 
I think this is where she spends a lot of her time is over here. I think. I'm not sure. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, this is the one. You mean the, the mission story where you impersonate the other council member and you're wearing that wild costume and you have a sit down with her at the top of that tower? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's because her. Because, okay. So I think that's one of my favorites because uh, if you let that encounter play on long enough, uh, she like gets she she pushes she escort or like scooches all the all the guards out of the room and then she goes and she stands in front of this like it's this like gothic kind of art like art is all around the room and she goes over she stands in front of this open iron maiden yeah <laughs> and you can go up and you can push her into it and slam her shut and the ground just like pools with blood yeah. And then you just got to bounce. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. That was good. You also, before that, in order to get a private meeting with her, you have to take part in this uh, vote of the council. And they are uh, making this climate change proposal. And uh, you have to go against her. And then she gets mad. And she's like, okay, let me talk to you upstairs. And this whole time you're wearing this insane elaborate outfit with uh, these masks and this is one of those skeleton key outfits that uh, everyone in the map is cool with you you can go anywhere wearing this um, so yeah that was my other mission story just slamming her in the Iron Maiden that was really funny yeah uh, uh, Jebediah Block is that his name? that's his name Jebediah Block Jebediah Block? Yep. <laughs> yeah oh man you first encounter him on like the roof and he's like on the phone and he's like somebody's just convinced him that like or oh I think it's the constant. The constant like takes him up to the roof and he convinces him that like hey, you rich asshole, this thing that you bought into, imagine what's going to happen when climate change hits and everybody dies and there's only like 200 of us. It's by definition going to be socialism. And then Jebediah blocks like on the phone to his accountant. He's like, why did you make me buy this? You think I want to be part of this socialist bullshit? <laughs> it's just like very on the nose. And inside of this level, there's a there's an exhibit where you can go take a sales tour. They're selling these like underground bunkers for like the ultra rich to survive uh, Armageddon, basically. And uh, it's it, it's pretty funny uh, when you go through that tour. Um, yeah, so that one's uh, God. There is not there is not very much. There is not a lot of ways you could make a media a piece of media. Well, about that topic right now in the year of our Lord 2021 uh-huh. uh, that I would be able to stomach. But for some reason, this just feels right. It's like the right blend of like disdain and satire. All at the same but time. But I'm like, yeah. 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 This, uh, the series is really like a greatest hits of, you know, the horrible things that the rich and powerful are doing. And, um, and then this is like basically like, oh, yeah, after the world is destroyed, they're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. But like to an extent, there's a little bit of a power fantasy there, right? Like we all sit at home and mad, like just fantasizing about murdering those people. And uh, with uh, this game, you can. With a fish, a giant fish. With a fish. You can <laughs> smack them all. You can if you if you hate the rich, you can smack them with a fish. Fish smacking simulator. Hitman 2. So uh, the other target is uh, Zoe, and they're actually very good mission stories with her too. Uh, the first one I want to mention is probably the first one you'll find when you go through the level where uh, she does this big kind of show where she gets inside this burning effigy. Um, 
I, I, there's some symbolic uh, value for the the organization of her doing this, but you can lock it's her. It's like a phoenix, right? Yeah, you can lock she, her the, inside the... of the effigy yeah. uh, so that she burns alive in that. Yeah, she's supposed to have this like trap door that lets her out, but you can like rig the trap door so she can't get out. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I, my, I think my personal favorite for Zoe is is. Uh, well, in the, in the previous in the previous chapter, uh, you have assassinated Janus, right. former Constant, mm-hmm. and at this meeting uh, on the Isle of Scale, one of the things that is about to take place is sort of a, a, a small little wake for Janus, mm-hmm. like an open casket wake, yep. right? And uh, I, th- I think you have to like maneuver your way into the part of the grounds where his body is being prepared, and like like disguise yourself as his dead body. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you do that, then you can like be in, in, in the casket, uh, in the area where uh, like kind of one at a time, the other members of, of Providence are kind of coming up and, and expressing their condolences or uh, uh, spending a moment with the dead body uh, quote air, with air quotes. Right. Uh, and when she comes up, you can just like, I don't know what your eye. I, you maybe snap her neck, maybe stab her, or something like that. But like, yeah, because she thinks you're dead, Janus, and instead you just get to like get her, right? Because there's a uh, there's a burial knife uh, that you have to find earlier in that mission yes. story, and you're buried with the. He is to be buried holding this knife, and so as she's like getting up in Janus's face, talking shit about you know the new guard is here and stuff like that. Uh, Forty seven just grabs her and you know, stabs her with the knife. So good. Yeah. There are a few things better than like getting somebody when they think that you are not a living person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's just so sad. It's so satisfying. There's a bunch of times in this game where, uh, people are explaining their master plan or they're directly talking shit to you or about you or who they think they're talking to and you're able to kill them in the middle of that and it's always pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, the game is good with with like uh what is that? Poetic irony? Is that what that is? Perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. I my literature so the two things I don't know much about are literature and race cars and we're finding out in this episode. <laughs> so uh, and just real quick, you escort the constant out of the level and, um, you get in this kind of boat and you, it doesn't show this, but it's implied you pilot this boat out into the stormiest seas of all time, uh, on this kind of really small boat. It's a little skip. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this, it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's the same boat from night call. It's this little like inflatable thing yeah. with like a, a tiny outboard motor. Yeah. It, it's pretty funny. Surf of the choppy seas of of what what did you say like off the off the coast of Scotland or something? Yeah, it's, probably? it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. So some northern sea. So two more levels left. Uh, the next one is the bank in New York, uh, where you only have one target, but you have another mission. So you either need to you need to kill this woman named Athena Savalas, or you need. And you need to either infiltrate the vault and steal some data, or you need to get three data backups. Uh, Athena has one, and then two other bank officials have the others. So 
um, I kind of like this because the vault, uh, the vault heist is pretty fun. I enjoyed that. Um, I did that the first time. I don't remember exactly the steps because it was a couple years ago. And then my second playthrough, I did the three backups uh, from the other people because I killed Athena and then suddenly the other people were nearby. So I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, just go take them out. Uh, it is way harder in my experience to collect all the hard drives than it is to infiltrate, to, to break into the vault. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, I, 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 I feel like we've talked at length about this ep- this uh level already tonight but um i think it's it's one of the most interesting levels topographically and mission story wise mm-hmm. um we could easily spend an hour on it alone but uh i i i want to say that like when i go back to this level my perfect run is uh is a vault infiltration, um, which actually is not as complicated. Just, I think it would be it would be interesting to see the ways in which it could be made more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a certain starting point unlocked, you can actually like get right into it and and heist it like within the first few minutes of of your playthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the first time I did it, it was it was very satisfying because I didn't have that unlocked, and I had to figure out how to get down there and how to deal with all the guards and stuff. Um, it's a series of stealing security code cards and disabling grids and hitting buttons and stuff. Uh, but um, the best way, my fa- the most satisfying way to me to kill Athena is uh, she has this office. Uh, at the top of the of the bank that kind of overlooks the main bank uh with this kind of big clock face mm-hmm. that she like looks through yep. like it's fucking it's comic book villainy she stands yeah. there and she like <laughs> puts is. her hand against the window and like she's like look at all the poor little peons down there like i can't believe we have to entertain these people just to you know be able to play on the financial level of providence or whatever uh, and there are like a handful of mission stories that will get you into her office. But if you can get her into the office and you can uh, get rid of the guards around her, in one of those moments where she's got her hand up against the window, or, uh, up against the the office side of this clock face, uh, and is giving this just fuck this this like comically villainous monologue, you could just push her out through the through the glass and she falls like three floors in like and splats into the lobby Mm -hmm. of and it just sends the entire place into chaos but it counts as an accident yeah and then you just calmly walk out yep and that's what i did my first time and i thought that was very cool um like this this level is uh the way it's designed with like the different areas of the bank and how they, they are all very believable, like doing their function. There's the safety deposit area. There's the lobby. There's um, there's like a stock trading area with all these traders on the phone uh, with their supervisor. The, the worst part of the map. Yeah. Um, the hardest part of the map to sneak through. So I did that push her through the, uh, um, the clock uh, face and the way that I did that, the way you can get alone in the room with her is that there's a uh, there's an employee that she's supposed to be firing. Uh, there's a meeting, and this guy with this crazy sweater, um, <laughs> and you can uh, you can get you can impersonate him, and then you get a private meeting with her. 
uh, that way. There's also a mission story here where 47 does a job interview, which will just, it doesn't get you close to the target, but it does get you deep inside the bank. Um, and 47 it gets you past a couple of like key security checkpoints. Yeah. And 47 doing the job interview is really funny. Uh, the way he answers questions and stuff like that. Oh, right, because they do that, like, Rorschach test, right? Like, they show you, like, pay blobs uh, and and ask you, like, word associations, and his responses are always, like, a super on-brand for an assassin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's another... Yeah, this is... Go ahead. I was going to say, this is one of those ones where there's only, like, a small handful of ways to kill the target, but, like, a, like a dozen different ways to get in the room with her. Yeah. Uh, the other way that I got in the room with her is this is not a mission story, but uh, someone uh, it, you can go into like a side room next to her office and turn off the Wi-Fi and uh, then she'll call IT. And again, this is not a mission story. This is just something I was like, hey, I wonder what happens if I turn off the Internet. So she calls for IT. Uh, you can take the IT guy's disguise and you can rearrange her schedule on her laptop while you're fixing it. Um she and she says this thing where she's like, I don't want to answer any questions. I don't want to talk to you. Just fix my goddamn computer or something like that. And so you do that. Um, all, this happens in Hitman 3 also, but I think it's very funny. These people are so rich, they have no idea what their daily schedule is. They just kind of follow what's written down for them. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can rearrange her schedule and she goes into this um, meeting room. Uh, by herself where you can have a semi-private there's one guard in there but that's not really a problem at this point in the game so yeah that's all i got for the bank uh, we talked sugar about it before the spoiler section but this level is uh it's fantastic uh, looks incredible with ray tracing in the lobby and the shiny floors and stuff like that yeah, you en you enter. I mean, it is a classic like New York bank. You enter in like a in like a like a beige trench coat, and it's just and there are. We've covered if we're lucky half the mission stories here. So right. so play this level and and then discover all the little nooks and crannies and Easter eggs that are exactly to be found in there. Yeah, there's there's so much and like it's. I feel I've played this level twice, and I feel like I have a good grasp on like half of the rooms in it, like. There are so many places that you can just not see. It's such a big uh, bank. And if you come in the lobby, I feel like I have a good grasp on like the, you know, the right half of the level, you know, as you make your way up. But uh, there's a lot of stuff. Um, it's, it's a good just I think if someone wanted to see like the quintessential hitman level, I might say, like, go check out the bank um in this game at yeah. least uh, maybe in in hitman one you'd say i would say the paris fashion show but um yeah yeah this one this... i think it's and 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 maybe what those two levels have in common is that like you know i i love the isle of scale but it is it is almost unwieldy with how big it is not just not just in its size like it is it is it has a huge footprint and it is very vertical. It has a lot of low uh, floors, but it also has a lot of ways of traversing the map that are not like hallways or stairways, right? Like it's got a lot of ledges and pipes that you crawl down mm -hmm. and like these little like little ways of getting like t little awkward like diagonal hallways that go from one floor to another at an angle 
Whereas like the bank is, is very blocky. It's very like, it is a big rectangular building Mm -hmm. uh, and you can break it into quadrants or halves or floors. And it makes sense. You can, it's like easier to conceptualize than, you know, a Gaelic castle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's, and I think I think that when you think about Hitman levels as clockwork uh, designs, that clockwork stuff works the best when you just have one big building and all of the moving parts within that building. Like I think Sapienza is a great level, but it's uh, it has parts that don't really interact with each other because um, they're on like they're too far away from each other. And when you have just one big building like the Paris Fashion Show or like this, uh, you really see the moving parts and how people will go from one area to another and stuff like that. So yeah, and everything ripples. I mean, everything you see is an is is an opportunity to influence one of the other things you see. Yeah. All right, so let's get into the last level. Uh, of Hitman 2, which is the Maldives level. And you have three targets here. Um, This is another level where 47 checks in under his alias, Tobias Reaper, which is a fantastic uh, alias for an assassin. Yeah, Tobias Reaper. And (laughs) you have uh, three targets. Uh, You have a woman named Ludmilla, I think is how you say her name. And I did not write her last name down. Uh, you have a dude named Tyson Williams. Uh, Ludmilla is kind of moving around the resort area, just checking on people uh, in the resort area. Uh, you have Tyson Williams, who has his own private uh, mansion area. And then you have Stephen Bradley, who's spending his time just being a fucking maniac, running around the island, uh, hanging out, wants to get on his jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> trust fund kidney kind of guy yeah 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 you get that that sense so um i did the same mission story for ludmilla both times so we'll start with her uh there's a mission story where you um you retrieve a usb disc or usb disc your uh, usb drive um that has some like sensitive information about her on it. And you can also use this USB drive for some uh, stuff with Tyson Williams. But uh, if you give it to Ludmilla, she uh, wants to meet with you privately in this uh, massage uh, room office. And uh, she sends out the massage people and you can kill her by pushing her into the water, which is like three feet deep. So I'm not really sure how it kills her, but it does. And I did that both times. It's like a two foot fall into Chris into that crystal clear, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, like white sand beach water that is only like two and a half feet deep, and she dies instantly when uh-huh. she hits the water. And somehow it is lethal. <laughs> so maybe just off camera, uh, she falls in and a shark grabs her. That's what I'll that's what I'll say is canonically what's happening. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, I think it's worth mentioning uh, real quickly that uh, the final level of Hitman 1 uh, is Hokkaido, which is a uh, a ethically questionable uh, luxury spa and hospital facility and, and medical facility uh, that uh, the the insanely wealthy uh, and and 
and most terrible people in the world use to uh, do things like uh, get plastic surgery that completely changes what they look like mm-hmm. um, so that people don't recognize them. Right. Uh, and the uh, resort in the Maldives, in the very final level of Hitman 2, is called Haven, and it is a, like, uh, image rehabilitation facility and resort mm-hmm. uh, that specializes in basically laundering uh, the rich and powerful's uh, terrible, uh, 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 like PR, yeah, uh, and 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 personality and yep. identity, right? Their public image, mm-hmm. um, and uh, f- prominently featured in both, uh, which is something I both love and I'm uncomfortable with. Uh, in both in both levels is the character Jason Portman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Portman has a has a, a hut in at at Haven while you're there. Um, which I think is very funny that he shows up in both of these facilities in particular. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck? What kind of monster is Jason Portman <laughs> that he is getting facial reconstruction surgery? He's getting image rehabilitation sur- uh, 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 assistance. Um, but I also think it's kind of awkward because, like, uh, there's nothing stopping you from killing Jason Portman in Hokkaido. So there's a little bit of, like, a... a, a Oh sure, yeah, uh, like a, a narrative a, discontinuity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, if he shows up in in Haven, um, but uh, one of the very first things that Ludmila Petrova does in this is visit him. I think it's his hut, uh, which is right next to your hut where you start. And I think most of the times that I have killed Ludmila, Ludmila Petrova, I have just very quickly gotten up out of my starting chair from my hut mm-hmm. and snuck down the stairs and gone underneath his hut and snuck up into the um uh the bathroom uh-huh. and undone the trap door uh and then turned on the water and then snuck out of the room mm-hmm. uh so that she comes in to turn off the faucet and falls through the trap door and then I and then I kill her in the water mm-hmm. underneath underneath the hut yeah that's so pretty good. not actually even any of the mission stories i'm just like she wanders around too much so i yeah she is wandering deal with her in the first two and a half minutes yep and one a uh, cool thing that uh scott you mentioned earlier before the spoiler wall is that how there's like a couple of uh environmental changes in this level so after you kill your first person uh a storm begins to brew uh after the first person right it's like a it's like a like a very bright tropical island yeah like palm trees cloudless blue sky white bright white sand uh when you start and then yeah like the skies start to darken in the distance after your first kill and then after your second kill a proper storm has arrived and it's uh it's thundering and the wind is blowing and the sky is really dark and it's really cool like it's incredibly cool uh storms in like in red dead redemption 2 also like very very awesome storms that roll in from time to time and uh this one is really really cool and it progresses as you kill the targets yeah and it's like raging by the time you have to escape Mm -hmm. once you kill the last target like which makes people have taken cover and (laughs) <laughs> which makes my escape uh, even more funny when I get to talking about how I escape the level, which is very good. Oh, I can't wait. Um, 
So the second target is uh, we'll we'll go with Tyson Williams because I always kill him. I always kill Stephen Bradley last. Uh, so Tyson Williams, um, you there's a couple things you can do, and I don't think either of them are direct mission stories. The USB thing is a mission story, I think. So you can give him the USB stick, and because he treasures this data that's on it he fires his personal bodyguard and makes you his personal bodyguard and you're inside of his soundproof uh armor. as an emotionally stable human being would do yeah exactly uh you gave me this uh thank you for this uh usb drive you are now uh my protector my second in command yeah <laughs> so you're in this uh soundproof room and it's uh there's a camera in there but you can shoot the camera and kill him in quick succession. So I did that my first time. There's another story where, uh, and I don't know if it's a mission story, but his jacuzzi is broken and you can fix his jacuzzi and then he'll go sit in it and you can uh, drown him in there. So. Yeah. I I like that one. That's one I've used several times. Um, He also uh, on his tour around his little mansion, there's another one of those maps where like the three people, they all wander to some extent, but they they are fairly self-contained. Yeah. Like, they each have kind of a third of the map. Mm-hmm. They're not as spread out as Santa Fortuna, but um, uh, they are kind of contained to their own areas. But uh, Tyson Williams probably walks around the least. He just walks around his, his mansion, uh, and he stops in this room that has a, a big screen TV and kind of like a, a love seat with a, a wall partition. Yeah. Uh, and if you're if you're crafty, you can like um, incapacitate the guard that travels around with them, and then and then kill him in there and stuff them both in the closet. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I I think one of my favorites is because he's also sick, right? He's got he's got some sort of yeah, like he's he's uh, he's coughing as he's walking around, and he's and... got like some major skin trouble. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and so he also this is another one. I feel like it's the thing that happens in a lot of Hitman levels, but like there's a doctor that makes a house call, mm-hmm. uh, and you can impersonate the doctor, and then uh, and then when you get into his into his room, uh, that's like the moment you get alone with them, and you can you know, I forget exactly how it works. Recommend some pills that are actually poison and not helping his condition or mm-hmm. something like that. Gotcha. And the last target, uh, which the the ways I kill him are very funny and the, um, the escape from the missions are very funny. So we're going to end this podcast on a high note. Uh, Steven Bradley is kind of this exercise adrenaline freak. He's always either running around the, uh, the level or he wants to get on his jet ski and the, um, jet ski instructor is like holding his key. He won't give him his key. And you can either get the key from the instructor or you can just find it. Like there's another key underneath this kind of lounge area. It's like in the sand. You can find another key down there. But you give him his key. They're running a tight ship over there on Haven Island. (laughs) uh, You can give him his key and he'll go get on the jet ski and ride around. Uh, If you have an explosive, you can blow up the jet ski when he's riding it. But what's even better is you can get this thing called the homing briefcase, um, which, and I don't remember how I did this, but I did this the first time, and I think I had just looked up how because I had heard about it. Um, but it's literally he's riding a jet ski, and you throw this briefcase, and it tracks and 
hits him and kills him on impact. I don't think that's a special item. I think that's a quirk of like the throwing. Is it a glitch? I think yeah. I think like what you do, what you did is that is like you you targeted at him and threw it, but then he started moving faster than it. Okay, and like it's the 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 briefcase is just gonna follow him. Okay. So I did that the first time, and it's very funny. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a special briefcase. He's Dana. speeding around on his jet ski, and there's a briefcase flying in the air, tailing him, like a, you know, like a homing missile in Star Wars or something like that. And uh, it hits him and kills him, and that was very entertaining. Uh, I also uh, take him out on the jet ski. Um, I, I, I particularly enjoy. Uh, I forget where you get it. I think it must be from one of the. There are like little security outposts scattered across the island mm-hmm. uh and uh if you can find uh a remote explosive you can just attach it to his jet ski and then you give and then you give him the keys and while he's out there you just uh and and the whole thing goes up yeah and remote explosive kills in hitman are always good because you you're just casually walking away as you hit the trigger and the explosion happens in the background oh, yeah. action movie shit oh yeah it's the stereotypical like cool cool action movie hero shit walk around you know walk calmly away from the explosion you know um Mm -hmm. this most recent way uh this most recent playthrough i didn't want to do the jet ski thing uh so he goes to this like lounge area where he has a private chef and there's a grill and i was trying to set up a kill where i could get the grill to explode Uh, Because you can start a gas leak and then someone turns on the grill. But, like, no one would interact with the grill when he was there. So I ended up, um, first of all, there's some crab holes under this thing. And if you stuff an item in the crab hole, the crabs will come out. And he take Stephen Bradley takes it upon himself to kill the crabs. And he, like, chases them around yelling, which is, (laughs) I assume you can use this to your benefit for some kill. But otherwise, it's just very funny, like, stupid hitman comedy. Um, that's amazing and then he comes back after he's uh, taking care of the crab problem Um, and I posed as the waiter and 47 does a very elaborate you know shaking up this this magical drink uh, with poison in it and it has (laughs) it's just very funny it has these like you don't stir your poison you shake shake it and by shaking it it has these big red fumes coming out of it like (laughs) And I just had this thing like, this is obviously like, you should not be drinking this. It is, there is red smoke pouring out of this thing. And uh, I'm just thinking like, oh, this is a 47's like, oh, this is just this magical tropical drink here. This is the, the agent 47, the Reaper special. (laughs) And so he drinks it and he dies. And that was, that was how I took him out this most recent time. That's awesome. But, that's a good one and as this uh, as this is happening the storm is rolling and it, it's just really cool um yeah very cool the escapes in this level are noteworthy for me uh because this most recent time i rode away on his jet ski uh which this is the maldives these islands this island that you're on is secluded so like I don't know. And how, a storm is whipping. Yeah, up. and a giant storm is like a tropical storm is happening or something mm-hmm. like that. And so 47's riding a jet ski for like, I don't know, 100 miles or something to the nearest island. Uh, you know, I assume this is a very secluded island. But the funny one to me is that 
the first time I played it, you can just put on scuba scuba gear and swim away from the island, which is <laughs> <You just, laughs> slip away. Yeah, like a dolphin. And <laughs> during the storm <laughs> away from this secluded island, 47 just swims away. It's fantastic. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like the it's like the jet ski off into the into the mountains of Japan or the uh the snowmobile off into the mountains of Japan while dressed as a yoga instructor. Yeah, exactly. And so like I have no doubt that 47 could swim 100 miles, but it's just very funny to me <laughs> that uh that's his escape. Oh man. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I've ever done that one. I've definitely done the I've definitely done the jet ski. I think there are a couple of jet skis you can probably make off on. There's some uh, uh, some seaplanes you and can I think get out. Seaplane. Yeah. Yeah. Which would make sense because that's how people in the Ma- the Maldives go from island to island. How that's travelers how you do. get there. Yeah, you get there on not a by boat. Yeah, by seaplane. <laughs> but forty seven. Certainly just not like, by jet ski, and certainly not by swimming. I was gonna say he's like, hey, throw me the flippers. Yeah. No, keep the oxygen tank. I'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I just need the wetsuit and the flippers. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you. Oh, what a good one. Yeah. Exactly. It- it's great. And um, yeah, that's well. And I believe I believe what happens at the end. How does that? How does that mission end? You end that the the story ends kind of with the real with the revelation that um, the constant's gone. Yeah, the the constant's gone, and and that the 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 people you thought you were tracking down have successfully eluded you, mm. right? Like you went to Haven because you were trying to track down the identity of three people who were on the Haven servers because they had their uh identity refurbished. Yeah. Uh and and they uh, it turns out that you did not get there in time or something like that and they eluded you and so the whole of Hitman 3 is is then figuring out what to do next. Yeah. With uh with no cards on uh being held by anybody on your side. And there's this I forget if this cutscene is before the Maldives level or after it but there's this cutscene of the providence board and they're in this like floating triangle base in like the that's like hanging from cables in like the alps or some yeah it's insane it's insane uh just like secret society shit like very oh yeah very funny it's comedic super villainy like yeah it's really good so (laughs) yeah Uh, oh man which is i think it's after because that's because it's when the constant escapes and gets back to providence right it's like here's what i know and what we have to do about it yeah uh, and we'll find out where that takes everybody uh on the next one yes we will and uh we are at uh, about the four hour mark on this episode so um want to say feel like there's some bad jokes and stuff you can cut out of there to chop some of that time down <laughs> no i'm gonna i'm gonna do some more uh bad jokes by myself and cut those in uh let's get this <laughs> <laughs> so uh <laughs> For everybody who has listened this far, thank you so much. And I hope that you enjoy uh, reliving these levels as much as Scott and I have. And uh, Scott, thank you again for talking Hitman with me. We'll be back for uh, installment number three uh, in the future. I very much look forward to it. I can we uh, should, talk uh, about this game for way too long at a time. Yeah. So the first episode was about two and a half hours. This one's about four hours. So join us for the six and a half hour Hitman Three <laughs> spectacular. It's a it's up. a fo- it's a quadruple length season finale. Yeah. Um. We should probably wait 
for that announcement for 2022 and if there's dlc we should do that and then we'll do our uh our hitman 3 episode so that's a good point yeah so um again thank dude scott thanks so much it's been a blast talking hitman with you Thanks for having me. I promise I can talk about other games too sometime. But yeah, uh, exactly. I was is, just this... I was just gonna say like we're not forcing Scott to be the Hitman guy, uh, but we do love these games. And once we do yeah. Hitman three or even before that, uh, we can find another game to do. We'll You're always welcome on the show, about. dude. I love it, man. Always love to talk to you about games. Hell yeah! All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye, everybody.